the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right. Back with you on a Monday, the Dave Ellswick Show, right here at 101.1 FM, uh, The Answer. And I can't believe, is it such a slow news day that everybody wants to talk, talk about Trump saying that, you know what, the next G7, wouldn't it be cool if they came to, you know, my place or whatever? Reach over and turn you. There you go. You know, turn, you know, who cares? Come on. What? But when, that's emoluments when, when clause, the hell does Dave. That make that's the not news? okay. That I mean, is just not okay. When does that seriously make the news? I could give a rat's, you know, patoot. How's that one, John? It's, there you go. He gives yeah, me a thumbs up. You better. didn't say it, Dave. You wanted Good to. Job. You didn't. I said patoot. Okay. I really don't care. All right. I real. That's not important. You know what's important? China called the other night and wants to reopen <laughs> talks. As that's important. Said, yeah, Japan okay. is going to buy all our corn. That's important. That is not important. I'm sorry. That's just crap. That's a 24-hour news cycle. Got to fill up crap. that time with something. I don't care if it's 24 hours or not. <laughs> fill up another 20 minutes talking about how farmers in America are going to, you know, come out smelling pretty good if China buys up our our corn. I just it, it just drives me crazy. I know it drives you crazy too because you're. <laughs> You were a journalism major in college at the, in the same time I was. I got to tell you, I've gotten to where I used to watch a lot of news. I don't so much anymore because I finally figured out that if you turn it on for a couple of hours, you can pretty much pick up everything that's happened. Yeah, you know, if you kind of watch the loop yeah. and, and ignore all the stuff because they spend twenty three hours a day talking about you know Trump asking for the G seven to be at his golf club. And I just don't want to buy into it anymore. I don't trust them, and I don't. I believe that most of them are off on you know fake news, trying yeah. to make us trying to make a recession happen. For example, by talking about it all the time. Maybe he said that, just knowing that they talk about that instead of talking about <laughs> there's a recession coming. They don't know that. Well, there's the chance. Hold on, I've got a piece of audio. Let me play some audio for you. Real quick, I got. I'm going through my stuff. You can look on the, the stack. Here, I gotta find it. Larry Kudrow, I got him right here. Where is it at? Cut number eight. Would you play that for me, John? Which and is why, is which to is defend it and change it. Which is why so many people support the idea of getting tough with China, but they're worried that you're actually going to damage American businesses. I'm looking at statements from the Retail Industry Leaders Association just on Friday. Mr. President, we implore you to end this trade war before the damage is irreversible. National Retail Federation, it's impossible for businesses to plan for the future. How and where does this end? Larry, this is the business community saying this. China hasn't agreed to any concessions. Where does this end? Well, look, 
we're in constant touch with all those business groups. And by the way, they're all sort of saying before something really bad happens, which I think is an implication, nothing bad has really happened. I just want to disabuse so much of this recession talk out there. It just ain't so. Right. But businesses, as you know, have uh, to plan for the future. And confidence is a fragile thing. You know that. So businesses are saying they're they're inhibited here. So let's just run at the same time. Keep on going, Larry. Truly, thousands and thousands of businesses have implored the president to protect them against China's unfair trading practices and their IP theft and their forced technologies of transfers and their high tariffs. They've implored the president to take action. Look, he's the he's the first president in our memory, Margaret to go after these Chinese practices, which have done so much damage to the American economy and the rest of the world's economy as well. He's right. He has to do it. He's going to continue to do it. Lower trade barriers would do great, Mm -hmm. great help to our economy, to everybody, large and small companies. We have our tax cut plan, which gave the retailers and so forth great benefits, gave individuals and small businesses great benefits. And we are looking, as I said earlier last week, um, there's a tax cut 2.0 study going under my uh, under my aegis. We're looking at something. It's not immediate. We're not worried about a recession. We're not worried about a recession. We're not worried about a recession. Can we say that one more time? We're not worried about a recession. recession. All right. I don't give a crap about what inverted curve you're looking at. It's like the people who believe in climate change and say, look at that hockey stick graph. That they made up in the first place. Yeah, come on, man. Oh, wait, that's a Joe Bidenism. I just used a Joe Bidenism, John. <laughs> Whoops. Come on, you're man. You're just losing it, Dave. You're losing it. <laughs> that's what Joe says. By the way, new poll numbers. Not good for Joe Biden. We'll talk about that as the show's going on. Not good. But I'm I'm tired of this we knew when we started getting into this with china it was going to be tough i mean we have been licking the bottom of their shoes for years and putting up with their crap the world trade organization letting them continue to be a developing nation there if you if china's not developed there ain't no nation out there that is developed all right i'm just telling you that's for sure. I don't understand. Ridiculous. See, this is what I call the naivete of the American public. We don't understand because we've got it easy here. We really do. We have a good world, a good country. Our lives are pretty easy. So when things get a little bit tough, oh, my God, oh, my God, we scream. We All these years, it has been painful. We just didn't really notice because it happened so slowly. China well, has taken over trade in the whole world. Well, not only trade. You know, intellectual property, that's what he meant when he said IP. That's what he was talking about. The way that you got to do business in, the, in, in China allows China to steal your intellectual property. You might as well just give them your business if they can steal your intellectual property. So here's the key. Suck it up, buttercup. It's going to be a little, there's going to be some turbulence right now, but we have to ride through this because we've given them 
the keys to the store in many instances. So when you take them back, there's going to be a bit of a struggle. Yes, they're, yeah, they're not wanting to give it. Well, Macron this morning at the G7, along with Trump, they spent quite a bit of time on the TV, the both of them, when they gave their addresses. Macron actually, in my opinion, backed up Trump. And he was talking about the same types of things. It's time we stand up. It's time we change this situation. You know, it's it's been a bully to the whole world. Uh, Trump is out there making bilateral agreements with one country after the other. Two-thirds of our world is democracy. How come China gets to have their way all the time and no one wants to challenge them? So yeah. I think Trump's doing, I think, a pretty cool deal. They need to be challenged. That's he's, the key. He's, he's they going have out and he's making alliances with all these countries and saying, we're all going to stand up together against this bully. Yeah, they have to be challenged. If Dr. Ford was listening right now, he would agree with me. They have to be challenged. That's got to happen. Now, I will say this, that you can't bite off too big of a challenge. You can take on too big of a challenge and set yourself up for a defeat. Instead of taking too, you don't, what's the old saying? You don't eat an elephant in one bite. You eat it in small bites. One bite at a time. That's that's uh, what I would say to the president. Maybe what you need to do is say, we want to get this IP thing worked out. Work it out. Get a, a, a deal on that. And, uh, and, you know, say that declare victory. Then move on to the next thing. Instead of trying to do it all at one time. Well, you know what he said about China? He said, nobody else is doing it. I need to do it. I have to do it. I got to do it. It's got to be done. I'm the one. I'm going to do it. Well, Kudrow talked about the tariffs are really hurting the Chinese. And it's true. All you have to do is get the Asian markets to know (laughs) that China is being hurt. But Kudrow went on talked. I didn't mean to talk about this first. This is the heavy stuff right out of the bat. But we're going to get back to the heavy stuff. Here's Kudrow again, cut number nine. Larry, in the past, you've been very clear that you think tariffs are essentially a a tax on the American consumer and that it particularly hits low-income families. Uh, How do you tell Americans that this is not going to spiral in a way that hurts them? Well, look, one important point I want to make is the economic burden of these tariffs is falling most heavily on China, probably by a factor of four or five to one. As far as any impact here, I will argue as I have, uh, it's a very small, minimal impact. The burden of this thing is falling way on China. And let me just add to your other question, the impact for ordinary American families. Look, uh, consumer wages are booming. Consumer spending is booming. Actually, mm-hmm. the best-performing sectors in terms of wage increase, Margaret, uh, blue-collar workers, middle-income, and lower-income workers, the bottom 10 percentiles doing the best. And our tax cuts have actually provided at least, I don't know, $2,500, $3,000 less taxes, lower tax liabilities right. on ordinary average American families. So the net net is the tax cuts, in my judgment, far outweigh very small harm regarding uh, the tariffs. And look, the president, again, he has got to defend the American economy. Sure, Chinese but, but trading Larry, practices and IP just, theft this... have done great damage to certain sectors of our economy. Which and is president why... is determined which to is... defend it and change it. All right. Larry Kudlow saying... That the Chinese are taking it 
into shorts, all right? Americans have seen increases in pay. Americans have seen a decrease in taxes. Okay, so... The lowest unemployment might, ever yeah, might in many just, areas. Might it cost you more when you go to to the Wally World to buy a shirt from made in China? It might. It might, okay? But For how much while. more? How much more? For just a little while, yeah. too, because it's going to get better if this works. Yep. I I don't disagree. The thing that this caught thing. my attention was... Got to stick with it. That's right. Go I ahead. think Well, the Asian markets over the weekend with all this turmoil over the tariffs just tanked. And the Chinese yuan has hit its 11-year low against the dollar. But the left will tell you that, oh, our economy here is just in bad shape. We're, we're coming up on Well, a- here's what the Chinese will they'll, they'll completely reevaluate the yuan. Well, yeah, of That's course what they, they do all the of time. Of course they will. But right. it, this is the effect, though, that this tariff war is having on them. And, of course, they'll recover or they'll readjust everything so it looks better but the fact of it is it's tearing them up but what they're what they wanted to do and they can't do now is make the one the world's currency mm-hmm. you know they they wanted. they wanted everybody to have to buy their oil using the one well you're not going to do that if it ain't worth nothing if it if it's if it keeps falling and it suddenly it's worth less than a peso i don't expect people going to be running to buy a whole bunch of their money now, that's hyperbole on my part. I'm just saying, just making a point. I'm just trying to make a point here. I want to see, uh, let me see if I can get uh, Dr. Ford to come on this week and talk, that would be fun. talk a little sure economics. He... It would be fun to do that. He, he used to do it all the time when he's a professor at UALR. Uh, he's retired. You know, he's got other things to do, like sit around and drink a cold Enjoy one and his fish. World. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Coors. I'm saying, all right. Bottom line, yeah, Coors. I've got, I've got those sitting in my refrigerator <laughs> set still that he brought me the other day. All right, don't forget about PI Roofing Home Solutions. They're excited, you know, that they got uh, Tommy's Gutter Cleaning Services now. But what they're known for, the thing that they're known for, is fixing your roof or anybody's roof. They fixed my roof. They fixed uh, the, you know, the Cabot. VIP Cinema's roof. They fixed all kinds of people's roofs. And they'll do it for you, too. Bring their professionalism to you. Bring their great prices to you. They'll work it out with your uh, insurance for you. So all you got to do is pay the, you know, the deductible, which for most of us is like $1,000. Not bad to get your whole roof done for only a grand. grand. So uh, you need to talk to PI Roofing about that. While you're at it, if you got some uh, stains or something from the leak that came through, you know, your shingles and your your felt and the, the wood and your uh, insulation and then through your drywall. They'll fix that, too. Most uh, uh, folks that are out there that do that kind of work want bigger deals, so you, they'll do it. They'll do the small jobs as well and get it done for you and do it a really, really good uh, way. And on top of that, if you want gutters that look great they'll do that too they got gutters that looks like crown molding they got all that but roofs is where it's at with pi roofing go to piroofing.com all right we're back here on the dave ellswick show so again you know kudlow saying it is going to take a little while longer but this this is working and uh as you said um, 
Elizabeth, the Asian market was was showing that it's working. Well, I was going to say, it may not take as long as Mr. Kudlow thinks. I think it was pretty dramatic over the weekend that uh, all this push and pull on Friday, China, okay, I'm going to raise your t- tariffs. Trump says, okay, I'll see your tariffs and I'll raise you again yeah. on Saturday. Oh, Shinzo Abe, we've got a new agreement for all the extra corn and soybeans. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, China's like, hmm, I changed my mind. I want to go ahead and get a calm resolution to this trade war. Yeah, let's, let's hear what the president had to say about this. Uh, first of all, he talked about China wants a deal really bad. And secondly, he talked about uh, getting a call, the administration getting a call last night. Here's uh, cut number one. You believe that China is is sincere about what it said this morning? Yes. Or do you think that they are just trying to calm the markets and play for time? Because our sister network, the Fox Business Network, has been told by Chinese sources that they have no plans on going back to where they were in terms of the negotiations this spring on intellectual property, forced technology transfer, ownership. So we'll see, do you, John. Do you trust that they are sincere? I do. I think they want to make a deal very badly. I think that was uh, elevated last night. Very late in the night, I see an alert, or you would call it breaking news, and it was that the vice chairman, we're not talking about somebody from China at a low level, the vice chairman of China came out that he wants to see a deal made, he wants it to be made under calm conditions, using the word calm, I agree with him on that. And China has taken a very hard hit over the last number of months, you know, they've lost uh, three million jobs. It'll soon be much more than three million jobs. Their chain is breaking. The pr- chain is breaking up like nobody's seen before. And once that happens, it's very hard to put it back together. You understand? I think they w- very much want to make a deal. And the longer they wait, the harder it is to put it back, uh, if it can be put back at all. So I believe they want to do a deal. The tariffs have hit them very hard in a fairly short period of time. The United States will have collected over $100 billion in tariffs. And I say it again, the reporters fail to, the media fail to acknowledge it. But if you look at the goods coming in from China, we're talking about China, not other countries. If you look at the goods, they have a, a power that others don't have. But that power is only good for so long. Uh, they've manipulated their currency, they've devalued their currency, and they put a lot of cash into the system. And because of that, the prices have not gone up, or if they've gone up, it's been very little, because they want to keep people working. If the prices go up, they're not going to be able to keep people working. They're not going to be able to compete. It's a brilliant market. It's a brilliant, brilliant market, the world market. A lot of markets are brilliant. And frankly, uh, I think that China cannot... I don't know, but maybe they can, maybe they can't. I don't think they can do that. And I think they're very smart. And I think President Xi is a great leader who happens to be a brilliant man. And he can't lose three million jobs in a very short period of time. And that's going to be magnified many times over. And it's going to break down the Chinese system of trade. And he can't do that. So when you say, do you think they want to? Maybe they want to and maybe they don't. But I think they want to make a deal. I'm not sure they have a choice. And I don't say that as a threat. I don't think they have a choice. In the meantime, the United States, which has never collected 10 cents from China, will in a fairly short period of time be over $100 billion in tariffs. So I think they want to make a deal very badly. China called last night on top trade people and said, let's get back to the table. So we'll be getting back to the table. And I think they want to do something. They've been 
hurt very badly, but they understand this is the right thing to do. This is a very positive development for the world. All right. So there you have it. China called the administration, talked to him, and and then uh, the president went in at the very first piece of audio we had went into this and uh, three million jobs nothing to sneeze at. I understand they got billions of people, still three million people losing their jobs. Not and and it, you know, growing is not a good thing for the Chinese government at all. All right, look, we got to get to the news. When we come back, we got more to talk about on the Dave Ellswick Show. I got to tell you, we've gone national uh, because we're over on, of course, uh, our Facebook Live. People can watch anywhere in the United States. People can listen anywhere in the United States. But until uh, in cars, instead of having radios, they got dashboards. It's not really going to take off the way that it needs to take off. I I predict that's going to happen within the next five to eight years. But. Uh, we are on Facebook, and I want to say uh, hello to Judy Garcia, who listens to us out in West Hanford. Is that right? Yeah. In West Hanford, California. Congratulations, Judy. Thanks for being part. Says she loves the show. Well, we love you too, Judy. All right. We appreciate you. And uh, tell, your, tell your friends about the show, would you? It doesn't mean it won't buy me a cup of coffee, but still, it's nice to know what we got <laughs> Some really nice uh, listeners out there in the uh, Sunshine State. In California, in you can California. tell your friends there's a lifeline coming out of Arkansas. Just tune in every Monday through yeah. Friday at two p.m. You can get some get fed some good conservative yeah. stuff in the bear in the in the uh, bear state out there, Golden Bear State. I don't see how a conservative could even make it out there. Yeah, a lot <laughs> of them crazy. aren't leaving. A lot of them are crazy. leaving, going to Texas. Just understand this: if you come out of Texas and come to some other state. Leave all the bad policy behind. Don't bring it to you, with you to your to, to to state you're going to. You don't want to do that. All right, with that all said, I want to turn it back over to Elizabeth. Of course, Elizabeth joins us on kind of like every other Monday now. It's good to have her back in the saddle and being part of the show because she's a very integral part of the show away uh, from being on the air. She does a lot of my social media. Uh, very smart woman. And so I've asked her to, you know, make it possible to be here every Monday if she can. She's working on it. She's trying to get things together. But with that said, let's. Uh, she's got us uh, the information I wanted her to bring up. We just talked about China. Here is what China kind of went. Uh, what? Okay, because of what happened with Japan. There you got it. On Saturday morning, it was announced that Trump and Shinzo Abe have made an agreement on trade. And not only is Japan pledging to buy the excess corn that China had sort of left on the table, but it's a three-way deal. It has to do with industrial tariffs and the agricultural section of it, as as well as digital trade. This is not just agricultural. Okay. Um, Abe Abe is saying we've still got to work on the digital trade part, but we've kind of got the agricultural part straightened out. I think this is very interesting. It will uh, require Japan to open its market to more imports of beef, pork, wheat, dairy, wine, ethanol. I mean, come on. This is going to put some pressure. Sounds good. This is going to put some pressure, and I think it's pretty cool of Abe. I mean, you know, 
geographically, they're right next door. It takes a lot of nerve to say to U.S., yeah, we'll make this deal with you when China's sitting right next door looking over your shoulder like they are. Do you realize that if Japan, the EU, and Britain all would join with us and we would just trade like crazy amongst us, China would lose big time. They'd be left out in the cold, two-thirds of the country, like you you say. Just kind of leave them behind on it. And it would hurt. It would hurt them immensely. But see, they're 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 sitting and making their plans that we won't. That's what they want to believe because that's what we've always done. And I think that on the world stage, bringing them together. I think on the world stage, some of the leaders are still sort of halfway there they see what trump is doing but they don't really believe he's going to keep going they think that the pressure from the press in our country is going to slow him and down the left. and i think they're wrong but i think they're starting to come around and i think that was the trans-pacific partnership thing that we pulled out of with what 12 14 different countries yeah. and trump said no i'm going to do one-on-one with all these different places he is i think a master at interacting with other world leaders I don't Art think, of the deal, baby. Well, and I don't think that they're accustomed from, again, all we know is what we see on the news, right, and what we're told. But I believe that he has a very personal style with all of these leaders, and I believe that that's part of his success. What do you he think? He goes in and says, Dave, let's you and I work together. I want you to be successful, too. Okay, so And I think it works. So Japan did this. Now, a few months back, the French got with us and talked about, and they're, from what I know, they're buying up soybeans, okay, still. You got them. You know, you got the other EU nations. Do you do you think that this unrest and, this, and some of these draconian measures taken by China in Hong Kong has soured some in the West's view of uh, what's going on with uh, the Chinese? I definitely think so. I mean, how can you ignore the very graphic and obvious pictures of a of a people in hong kong the people in hong kong basically fighting for their freedom yeah they you know? are and i got goosebumps when i saw the video clip i don't know if you've seen it where the crowd and i'll get choked up just thinking about this huge humongous crowd and they break out in the national anthem mm-hmm. because they understand more than people do here in this country that is a symbol of freedom well in the world especially colin kaepernick <laughs> The DA that he is. But anyway, go ahead. I just had to throw that in. <laughs> oh, you in. got me just totally distracted on I that one. throw that in. I just, I just think that, again, Trump's personal style. Uh, in business, we were taught years ago a win-win type of scenario is mm-hmm. much better than a win-lose. Yeah, win-win's right? always and better. And he goes in with win-win. He goes into these folks. I mean, you heard him say today, you know, Shinzo Abe or, um, sorry, the Chinese premier. Very smart men. He, he's trying to... Give them an out, you know, let them save face. He's making it easier and that's on them important and us. to the Chinese. That's very important, and he understands that. And I don't think people, oh, my God, he's talking to them. Oh, my God, he's complimenting them. Do you really think you're going to get anywhere with people if you just come in with a stick and start banging them over the head every time? Well, really? If, unless you've been in – hey, John, you were in the military. Were you over in Asia? You were in Europe? No. In the United States? Alabama. <laughs> That's another country all in itself, <laughs> isn't it? Anyway, no, I was. <laughs> I spent a lot of my time in the military over in Far East, and I can tell you, that people think differently over there. Well, yeah, big time, culture. big time, differently, and you don't want to put somebody 
over there in a position where they can they they they're made. If they a fool feel like of, they're losing face. They're not going to do if it. If they're, they're made a fool resist. of, they will they, not. That will not work. Work with you. That will not it work. Just doesn't happen. And so, see, he's no. using what I call people skills, and I think that that who knows if it's really going to be successful in the long run. But I think at best, it's a it's a total change from the way the U.S. has always been, and I think it's got everybody paying attention and listening to Trump more. And I think they're starting to realize, you know, we might be able to make a deal with with President Trump in the United States. All right. So run through that again, exactly what Japan has agreed or is agreeing to. And they're working out with them. And let's get uh, give that to everybody and then we'll get another break in. Go ahead. Well, OK. Abe says we have successfully reached consensus with regards to the elements related to agricultural and industrial trade. We still have work that needs to be done, and he's referring to the digital side of things. Um, again, they're going to have to op- – if they finalize it the way it looks right now, they'll open their markets to a huge number of agricultural imports that we've never worked with them on. Um, not seeing a whole lot more information that's here. That's basically what he said. Yeah, that's basically the, what he said. The corn thing's a big deal. They don't They don't give kind of a dollar – figure about what that means to the united states do they and to the american farmer in the midwest there's a quote that says hundreds of millions of dollars i think that's probably from trump okay so so there you have in iowa believe me that's playing big in iowa iowa is corn okay there's a reason why they wear a here an ear of corn on their heads at times that's big 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 news for the people in iowa Hey, don't forget about Sonny's Auto Salvage, the number one choice for recycled auto parts. What have I always said about recycling? Simple. I would recycle. I would go green when it saved me green. And Sonny saves me green. That's what it comes down to. Look, you go in and let's say you need a motor for your, your car because your motor is, you know, giving up the ghost. You know, the the crankshaft gives out like mine did or a piston or whatever. And you need a brand, you know, brand new motor in your car. Well, brand new does not necessarily mean it has to be absolutely brand new. That's like impossible to buy. You got to buy a rebuild or you can go right to Sonny's Auto Salvage and get a motor out of a car just like yours that was in a total loss accident now what does a total loss accident mean it means that the insurance company says we're not going to rebuild that car so that you can drive it again it does not mean that the engine's bad or that the transmission's bad or you know the rear differential is bad what it means is that to fix the body and all the rest it's too expensive to do and uh, they're going to total it and they get they put it in on the scrap heap basically, and so uh, you got people like RD who buy up those cars. They take out all of the parts that still work. They test them to make sure they still work, and then they'll sell them to you. I have put two engines in my cars over the last two years that are from total loss vehicles, and it saved me a. Um, I can say this because people don't realize what it really means. A buttload of money. A buttload, by the way, used to be on a cask of wine, and it was a buttload when the little tiny knob at the very top of the uh, of the uh, barrel was full of wine. That was called the butt 
load. So that's why they, that's where that comes from. So the bottom line is you save the maximum amount of money that you can. And and for me, it was well over $5,000 total. And I don't know about you, but $5,000 is a lot of money still in the Ellswick household at least. And I put in a transmission in my SUV, did it through Sunny's as well. You can do the exact same thing and save money. Just call 982-7451, 982-7451, and talk to RD or talk to one of his associates, one of his professionals. They're at Sunny's Auto Salvage, your number one choice for recycled auto parts. All right, back with you. Dave Ellswick Show. Good to be with you. Happy to be here on a Monday. And that's a hard thing to say sometimes on a Monday. But I'm happy to be here on a Monday enjoying myself. And uh, the big story that we've covered for you this first hour about China uh, wasn't going to be my first hour. It's going to be my second hour, in Mm -hmm. fact. But really, when you look at it, it should have been the first hour. We had a couple other things we wanted to to talk a little bit about, like, uh, you know, $6 million of, of marijuana sold in uh, Arkansas, and that was a $6 million? I think that was I right. Think that was the yeah, that was the number big. we saw. And then we wanted to talk about this FBI report, and we'll get to that in the beginning of the second hour here of the Dave Ellswick Show. We've just got about seven minutes left. Well, Senator Lindsey Graham, he talked about this whole thing going down with Donald Trump and uh, the tariffs and, and all the rest. And here's what he had to say. Well, I, I want to know what you think about what Larry just described there. You said the president does have the authority to block private investment in China. You said the other day you well, don't, I don't think I don't he know does. how the statute works. I think he can levy tariffs on countries that he that that are creating a national security threat to us maybe he can you know do something about exporting to countries <clears throat> that he believes uh, are national security danger i don't know but if you start getting into that it's a global economy the one thing i, I love larry kudlow it's a global economy i'm glad american companies are in china doing business because there's a lot of customers what i don't like is they close off markets to the american business community in china they require you to have a chinese business partner when you do business in china and they steal all of your stuff every democrat and every republican of note has said china cheats the democrats for years have been claiming that china should be stood up to now trump is and we just got to accept the pain that comes with standing up to china how do you get china to change without creating some pain on them and us i don't know there you go how do you get the chinese to change without causing some kind of pain for them and us i mean there's going to be if you have change, there's always going to be pain involved. I've Everywhere I've ever worked, when things have changed, there's always some pain involved. It just happens that way. We got here somehow, and guess what? It was painful along the way, but people just didn't notice because it went on for so long, and they ignored it for so long. China needs to be well reined in. Reined in, yes. I mean, they, you know, who made you king of the world, right? I mean, you know, the rest of the country, or the rest of the world needs to stand up. They're not running. Leading. Look, their their economy is almost completely uh, dominated by 
foreign investment and foreign purchases. Their people don't make enough money to buy their own stuff that they make in their own country. So they depend on... Some of them do. I mean, several million of them do. Maybe tens of millions do. But you're talking about... I mean, people over in China, John, three and a half billion or something like that? I mean, that's... Let's just say it's a... You got 200 million people over there buying your stuff, and the rest of them can't. That's an insignificant number, which means you've got to have a great deal with every other country in the world that you're coming out ahead on, or you can't keep your head above water. And let me tell you why that's really important, (laughs) especially to the number one political party there, which is the Communist Party. Their window is closing for domination. Their window is closing. And what do I mean by that? Well, why do you think that they're working with Google to control the amount of information that gets into their country? Because they don't want their people to know about freedom. Look what's happening in Hong Kong. They don't want their people to know. And if their people really get a taste of it, then their window of opportunity will be just a crack. Well, and I think what happened in this last year in Venezuela, the uprising against what's happened with Maduro, I think that has really just added fuel to the fire. And there's enough people in those parts of the world that know what freedom really is. And they're spreading the word fast. It will be very interesting. It's going to be interesting because the Communist Party in China... Being the top dog has always, since Mao, has been their number one, uh, you know, thing that they wanted to reach. And that's how they ran their country. And then they became more capitalistic. And to be capitalistic, you got to let more freedom in. And when they let some freedom in... Yes, people like freedom. Yeah, they do. Except in the United States, a lot of people don't. They think that the government should take care of them. That's because they've been brainwashed, Dave. Well, the millennials have. You talked about that last week, okay? The millennials have been brainwashed. They really, really have. And I can tell you, you heard my story on Zen. I'm going to have that that author back on, Graber. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have her back on. I'm going to talk further about that. If you didn't hear that story, that that's that interview with Mary Graber, just scroll through all of our. I think it was last Wednesday. It's on your Facebook page Wednesday. under the videos. Yeah, under the videos. It was Wednesday of last week, uh, in the three o'clock hour for a half hour. I talked to Mary Graber about Howard Zinn and his book about American history that is taught all across America in high schools and junior highs and college campuses, and it's full of fictitious lies. And I I mean big-time lies about, you know, the American founding fathers, that the reason they wanted a a nation uh, under them, all right, under them is just so that they could set up a new system of mercantilism and make a bunch of money. Uh, Not true. (laughs) Nothing to be able to back that up at all. And now some historians are wanting Zen to be stripped 
of being a historian, just so you'll know. Well, they should. We're going we're gonna to get her back on. Because he's perverting history, and he's making out, he put outright lies in that book. And we had a big fight about this two years ago, 2017, and uh, it was Kim Hendren was fighting it. And for some reason, it got under my radar screen. I'm going to call and see if we can't get Kim back on and talk about Howard's in with him. And uh, this is something that needs to be dealt with here in Arkansas and get this SOB out of our schools. So Dave Ellswick show when we come back. So what's the what's this FBI thing that's all over Facebook dealing with Arkansas? We'll tell you and we'll give you all the straight truth about it. Not not a whole bunch of well, I think it might be No. We give you the straight stuff. We are not Facts. the national inquirer on this show. More coming your way in just a moment. All right. We continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show Monday edition. We've moved into the 3 o'clock segment. Uh, We're going to get to uh, Mr. Cutler in just a moment. Give me just a second, dude. I can hear you. Go ahead and tell me you hear me. Mr. Cutler, are you there? Yes, I hear you. How are you, Dave? Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm doing good. I'm going to have you wait just a second. We've got a story that we got to give some information to our listeners, and then we'll move into this story about the DNA. Absolutely. Okay, go ahead, Elizabeth. Okay, if you were on Facebook this weekend, you probably saw a lot of commotion about the FBI putting out a notice about school shootings in Arkansas. So here's the actual facts. The actual facts are there is no reason to think that there is a specific threat to any particular school in Arkansas. That's the facts from law enforcement. Okay. It is a fact that the FBI sent out a notice, as they do frequently, and most of the time we never hear about most of these. But they did send out a notice across the state. They also sent them to Kentucky. They've gotten some sort of a threat from overseas from an individual, generic, not specific, not anything specific except some dates, Wednesday and Thursday, talking about Kentucky and Arkansas school shootings. Okay, but let law enforcement do its job. And the only thing we actually know is there's a generic threat. Okay, there's a made every day. And FBI sends out these notices frequently. We just don't hear about them all For the some time. reason, this one got out. So please don't get out on Facebook and start spreading stuff unless you know for a fact that it's true. It only makes things a whole lot worse on everybody around you. And it makes it harder on law enforcement. All and of it's you conspiracists out there, please try to with. Try to con- control yourself. All right, go look up what's his name. <laughs> what, yeah, what? go look up Jeffrey Epstein. No, go have not some fun Epstein. Over there. What's that other guy? The guy that Alex pres- Jones. Yeah, go go find Alex Jones <laughs> yeah, somewhere. Go, go, okay, go look on Infowars he's, and go have some fun. He is the king of conspiracy. Okay, all right. Anyway, what's That's happening, Michael? Well, I'm on your program, and it's great to join you. I think the world has gone nuts, though, I have to tell you. It really has. It really. If people knew all the threats that fly around within the FBI oh, and Lord. all the rest of them, they wouldn't be able to deal with it. If, you, if, you if we function. had to sit down like the president does and hear the threat assessments every day, we would, all heads would explode. Would you agree with that? Yeah, and if you work as a federal agent, which I did for 30 years, yeah, you did that. Explode, I will tell you. Okay, with that in mind, let me move to the story. There was a story that came out from Fox News. Uh, This is about five days ago. A watchdog alerts President Trump 
that border agency violated DNA collection law for years, letting violent criminals walk free. It is all yours, sir. Well, you know, I I didn't even pick up on it until Fox contacted me because I'm fairly frequently on Fox and Friends or Fox and Friends first in the wee small hours of the morning. I jokingly say when you go on at that hour, you wind up with jet lag without traveling. (laughs) So they either get you on at 4.15 or 5.15. The car picks you up at 3 in the morning. Uh, It's kind of like the hours I worked back when I was with the INS as an agent. And so when they told me the story, um, I got furious. You know, there's been so many instances where a failure to use biometrics in a timely fashion has led to tragedies. And immediately what came to mind, and I just wrote an article, and I expect it will be published in the next day or two at frontpagemag.com, frontpage magazine. I'm also working with Dennis Michael Lynch, dmlnews.com. They will be posting my article uh, within the next day or so, if it's not up already, DML News. But it reminded me of a case called the Resendez Ramirez case. This was back in the 80s and 90s, where a Mexican national had been arrested and deported numerous times, at least four or five times by the Border Patrol. And back then, believe it or not, we used to mail the fingerprints in. It wasn't transmitted electronically. So you would send the prints in, and then you know, a week later, two weeks later, they'd say, where is the guy who's wanted for murder? Well, in the case of Resendez Ramirez, every time he came back into the country, he would kill several people. It's believed that in total, this guy killed 15 innocent people or more because he kept getting arrested by the Border Patrol and deported, and no one made the connection until after he was back in Mexico, and then he snuck back into the country. Can I I stop you just for a second? Is he the serial killer that was riding the trains? That's correct. Yes, he was known as the railway killer. I can't believe I actually remembered that, but go ahead. Right. And and so, so here you have an example where a failure to use technology or give technology to immigration agents could have made a very big difference. Many people's lives could have been spared. And he was eventually caught. He was eventually put on trial. He was eventually found guilty and executed, but it didn't bring back the dead. Mm-hmm. I did my very first congressional hearing back in 1997, on May 20th, the topic of the hearing was immigration fraud and visa fraud. Ramirez, the the railway killer, was one of the reasons they wanted to hold the hearing. The other primary reason was we had had two terror attacks carried out in the United States by men from the Middle East, aliens who had entered the country. First, a guy from Pakistan by the name of Kansi in uh, January 93 shoots up the CIA. This blows my mind, by the way. He had bought into a courier service. We're giving illegal aliens driver's licenses. I mean, think about what we're doing in New York. New York was hammered the worst on 9-11, and we're rapidly coming up, it's hard to imagine, on the 18th anniversary of 9-11. New York State is giving illegal aliens driver's licenses. Frequently, motor vehicles are being used as weapons of mass destruction. In the case of Cansey, He bought into a courier van service, so that courier van gave him access to the parking lot at the CIA. And in January of 93, he pulled into the parking lot as employees were coming to work early in the morning, jumped out with an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CIA officers and wounded three others and fled the country. Mm -hmm. Bad guys who come to America, whether they're criminals or terrorists, carry out their crimes and frequently have an escape hatch. They leave the country, go back home 
And if their country doesn't participate in extradition agreements with us, they are very frequently out of the long reach of the law. Of course, in the case of um, uh, this character, our guys tracked him down, got foreign intelligence to work with us. We, rec- we found him, brought him back. He stood trial, was executed. But again, the people he killed remained dead. The people he injured remained injured. One month later, we had the first bombing at the World Trade Center. Six dead. Over a thousand injured, a half billion in damages. They almost brought the tower down sideways. I can't even imagine what that casualty count would have looked like. The common thread, immigration fraud. People concealing their true identities, people lying on applications for political asylum, people lying on applications uh, for visas, and so forth. So May 20th, 97, I was asked to participate in a hearing on the topic of immigration fraud and visa fraud. One of the issues I raised at the hearing is I was asked by the chairman of the subcommittee at the time, Lamar Smith, who recently um, retired from Congress. He's mm-hmm. a congressman from Texas. Yep. said, Mike, he said, you were an inspector. You were an adjudications officer. You spent all those years as an agent. Was there a common problem that you encountered? I said, well, we had many problems, but probably one of the most egregious is the uh, ability of imposters to conceal their true identities. We need to do something about it. Within a year, because of that hearing, the Immigration Service began using electronic fingerprinting to get real-time fingerprinting. Now flash to the present. In 2005, after 9-11, the Bush administration and Congress passed an act that said any alien in custody will be tested for DNA so that we can properly identify people to keep criminals and terrorists off our streets. Under the Obama administration, Janet Napolitano went to the attorney general and said, we don't have the resources. We can't be bothered. Can you give us a waiver? The Obama administration got a waiver so that they did not have to use DNA testing. And the problem is that that waiver is still in effect to this very day. So it turned out that CBP and ICE had hundreds of thousands of aliens move through their facilities, and only a relative handful, I'm talking about a couple of hundred people, actually had their DNA tested. And some of these people who came through the facilities who should have been properly identified and weren't went on to commit violent attacks, including rape and, I Mm. believe, some murders. Wow. How insane is this? Well, and I'm looking at the story, and it says that Mark Jones, another whistleblower, suggested that federal authorities were concerned about facing legal liability from angel families or those who have lost loved ones at the hands of illegal immigrants and that by admitting fault, the CBP potentially would expose the agency to lawsuits. Unbelievable. Well, if you're guilty of wrongdoing, then you're guilty of wrongdoing. Yeah, no kidding. You know what infuriates me? If you remember that sheriff's deputy in the mass shooting in Florida last year is being criminally prosecuted for failing to act when he heard the gunfire. I'm not going to comment on that case because it's an ongoing prosecution, but we all remember that God-awful case. And so that sheriff's deputy is facing a bunch of felony charges that could cost him his freedom, possibly for the rest of his natural life. Other sheriffs who worked with him were fired. Okay, Mm -hmm. and yet you have sanctuary cities refusing to honor detainers. We had one case in Maryland 
where two members of MS-13, illegal aliens, were in custody, charged with attempted murder in the first degree, conspiracy to commit murder, um, and several other criminal charges. While those charges were pending, for whatever reason, they were allowed out on bail. ICE lodged a detainer and said, we want these people. They refused to acknowledge the detainers, and they lied about it at first, and they finally admitted it. They released them, and within a day or two, if I remember correctly, they went out and killed a 14-year-old girl that they believe had gone to the police. They beat her and stabbed her to death. And these sheriffs that refused to honor the detainer, the detainer will face no consequences. Unbelievable. I really do believe that when the government fails the way it does in these cases, people need to face consequences, whether it's lawsuits, whether it's criminal prosecution. You know, I took an oath, the same oath that the politicians allegedly take, the same oath that the men and women of the military take to defend the Constitution, to protect America. How in the world are those actions consistent with their oaths of office? If a doctor is guilty of malpractice, they face consequences. They can lose their license to practice medicine. They can be sued. They can be criminally prosecuted. And I looked it up. It's interesting. There are hundreds of thousands of lawsuits every year charging doctors with malpractice. Why in the world should people who make errors where law enforcement is concerned and people are injured and or killed why don't those people face similar consequences for their failure to do the right thing? I'm with you on that, Michael. Michael Cutler is with us, has been working in this part of the government, the INS, ICE, whatever. He's worked with it for years and years and years and brings his knowledge. 30 years. Yeah, 30 years. Brings his, his knowledge of uh, how this all works to bear on the, st- uh, the story of illegal immigration here on the Dave Ellswick Show, he's got his own radio hour on Blog Talk Radio on Friday evenings at uh, 6 o'clock our time. You might want to tune in and listen to that from time to time to keep up with him. But the bottom line is this. This is a guy that gives of his own time because he loves this country. And when we come back, uh, we want to talk about something we talked about last week, and that is the White House has uh, unveiled this new immigration rule that would extend the amount of time migrant families can be detained at the border. Kids with their parents, all right? This is what the left has been screaming about constantly. Well, they're saying, well, okay, fine, but we can hold them longer this week. So what does that mean for catch and release? We'll find out from Michael when we return here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Oh, back. Good job, Elizabeth. You found how, you learned how to put the brakes on when I say we're back. <laughs> Good job. Michael Cutler is with us. <laughs> I, he I got like, me turned off anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Michael Cutler back. Let's talk about, we talked about this last week, and that's this, that the, the president wants to expand the time that they can detain families uh, that they take into custody, custody along the, the border. Now, yeah. this... This is breaking the status quo. I think this is a good thing because it's let's try something different, right, Michael? We all know what insanity is all about, beating our heads up against the wall and, and all the rest of the things. It's not doing something different, doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So different my, outcome, yeah, yeah. absolutely. So, so my, my question is, this seems, this seems like a good idea, don't you think? I think it's a great idea. Look, the Flores Agreement said that the government would not hold – 
minor aliens more than 20 days. So if you come with a child, you're guaranteed to be released within 20 days. Children have become literally a get-out-of-jail card. Mm-hmm. Now, what this has led to is trafficking in children. Yes. There's been so many instances of human traffickers, and I call them alien smugglers. You can call them whatever you want. I was part of the anti-smuggling unit in New York back in the late 70s. Uh, I was in every squad within the investigations branch. I worked on terrorism investigations. Um, I also um, was the first INS agent assigned to DEA intelligence in New York. And then I spent the last 10 years of my career as a senior agent with the Drug Task Force, but as an INS agent. And what we found was that the human traffickers, the smugglers, are among the most pernicious, violent, and sociopathic criminals you will ever find. They are right up there with the terrorists. In fact, they frequently use terrorist tactics to coerce people, intimidate people, and eliminate the competition. Frequently, human traffickers are also involved with the movement of narcotics across the borders. Uh, Often they force the illegal alien to carry the narcotics on them, sometimes forcing them to swallow the drugs in condoms or in balloons. So when you're talking about putting a child into the quote-unquote care of a human trafficker, uh, it's kind of like... um, you know, imagine the worst sociopath and saying, oh, we're going to let this child go with this guy. Lots of luck. And what we've been told is that in some cases, families have allowed the human traffickers to, quote, unquote, rent their children. Anybody who would allow a human trafficker to rent their child should lose permanent custody of the child because they are putting the survival of the child at risk. Uh, And I also believe that in many cases, children have been kidnapped, which is a more likely scenario. And the reason they kidnap them is they pair them up with illegal aliens who then falsely claim to be the child's father or mother. So when they get arrested by the Border Patrol because of Flores, they can't hold them for more than 20 days. So the best age child to use is the youngest child possible. If you have a 10-year-old child, the 10-year-old child is likely to blurt out, this guy's not my father. If you're dealing with a six-month-old child, there is no interview. There's no way of talking to a six-month-old. And, in fact, just a couple of weeks ago, and I wrote a piece for Front Page Magazine. I do a lot of writing for frontpagemag.com as well as for dmlnews.com. I wrote about how smugglers are exploiting children. There was a guy who was, I believe, from Guatemala, previously deported, had a criminal history, caught waiting across the Rio Grande, with his supposed son in his arms, a five-month-old infant. Turns out it wasn't his child. wasn't Mm -hmm. his child. And the president and the people of DHS are mortified by what they are seeing. There are kids dying in the desert. They're not surviving the trek. And the reason they're coming here is because of the Flores decision. So the president said, all right, let's take away this big magnet and let's simply be able to hold on to people as long as it takes to get their case through the immigration courts. We're not talking about years, which is what the loony left is trying to make it sound like. What we're really talking about is there is no clock. If it takes 50 days, if it takes 60 days, if it takes 70 days, we'll do this. Because now it doesn't matter if you come with a child or not. So what he's just done with this action is to take away the incentive for using children as human shields as a matter in a matter of thinking about it. I think it's a brilliant idea. It makes perfect sense. It would spare children the potential of being kidnapped, 
um, killed, rented out. We've had kids being shipped back and forth with multiple families. When the Trump administration said, let's use DNA testing to try to make certain that these children are really related to the people who claim to be their parents, the courts yelled and said, oh, that's taking too much time. So what this all does is incentivize children being used by the human traffickers. And the president and the folks at DHS are doing everything they can to stop the madness. But you wouldn't know it if you listen to the media, just like the business about public charge. And they wrote about this. You know, I'm Jewish. My mom came to America ahead of the Holocaust when she was 13, lived by herself in a rooming house. Imagine that. Right. Uh, Michael, the language, I, I got it. I got and supported herself. Michael, I got to I got to jump in, Mike. Themselves. Mike, I got to yeah. jump in. We got to get to the news. Can you stick around for okay. five more minutes? I sure can. I'd love to. Thank okay, you. stick there. We'll be right with you. Michael Cutler will continue here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, before we get back to Michael, breaking news. This from Fox News. An Oklahoma judge found Johnson & Johnson liable for stoking the opioid crisis in the state and said the company must pay $572 million, which is far less than the $17 billion that the state was seeking. Uh, judge Thad Balkman of Cleveland County District Court in Norman is the first judge to rule in the opioid cases brought to trial by thousands of state and local governments against opioid manufacturers and distributors. His precedent-setting ruling was being closely watched as 2,000 other pending cases await to be heard before a federal judge in Ohio in October. Johnson Johnson said it plans to uh, appeal Bachman's ruling. Hey, by the way, this is first shot. This is going to take a long time to litigate. But uh, this this reminds me of the big tobacco uh, that was going on. It may take another 10 years, but I think uh, this is the crack that a lot of people were expecting to see. With that said, let's get back to Michael Cutler. And, Michael, Elizabeth had a question for you. Hi. Thank you for okay. coming on today. I'm under yeah, my the... My pleasure, Elizabeth. And we get so much good information from your from your experience. I understand that the smugglers are advertising in South America, you know, just get a child and come on, you, you can be in the United States. I worry because of the lack of free information in that part of the world. Do these adults who are giving up their children actually truly believe that it's going to be okay? Or is this a money transaction for them? Oh, it's all money drives all of this. Money drives our government also. Make no mistake. Look, it's not that we can't secure our borders. We refuse to secure our borders. The key to border security may sound counterintuitive. It's not just the border. It's interior enforcement. We have 6,000 immigration agents for the whole country, and half of them aren't doing immigration work. They're doing customs work. That's why it's called ICE. C is customs, right? Say that again, please, sir. 6,000? We have 6,000 ICE agents for the entire United mm-hmm. States of America. And only 3,000? And half of them are not doing immigration work. They're doing customs work. The <sighs> sea and ICE is customs. So we really have 3,000. Do you know that at Times Square on New Year's Eve in Manhattan, we had 6,000 police officers protecting Times Square at the same time? Exactly. That's nowhere near close We have 45,000 people at TSA. We have over a million men and women in the armed forces. And the immigration mission is no less significant than the military. Think about it. 
The primary shared mission of all five branches of our armed services is to keep America's enemies as far from our shores as possible. Up close and in person, that baton gets passed to the Border Patrol and ICE. So we have over a million men and women in the armed forces. We have 38,000 police officers in New York City. And effectively, we have 3,000 immigration agents for the United States of America. And it's not just about arresting illegal aliens. It's going after the people who employ them illegally. It's about the aliens who commit immigration fraud by lying about their identities or lying about their backgrounds and so forth. Um, it's about working on task forces, the Joint Terrorism Task Force, the second largest contingent of law enforcement assigned to JTTF, or immigration agents, because every foreign terrorist in America violates multiple provisions of our immigration laws. Same thing with the drug trafficking. I was part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, the unit that brought down El Chapo Guzman here in New York City. So why in the world do we only have 3,000 immigration agents doing immigration work? Draw your own conclusion. But as far as I'm concerned, immigration is a delivery system. It delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor. And I assure you, there is no compassion to be found in exploitation. An unlimited supply of foreign students, foreign tourists. And this is the kicker for those lawyers out there, because you've got immigration lawyers on both sides of the political aisle. Bob Goodlatte was the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, and he's a Republican. He is an immigration lawyer. The current chairperson of the Immigration Subcommittee, Zoe Lofgren, is an immigration lawyer. What we are looking at, in my judgment, is a conflict of interest because the whole idea of comprehensive immigration reform isn't to get these people out of the shadows. Believe me, they're not in the shadows. Mm -hmm. It's about getting them into the law firm offices around the United States to create an incentive for them to go to the lawyers. This is a lawyer employment program. <laughs> So immigration has become a delivery system. And in point of fact, we know that if you come to America with a child because of Flores, you cannot be held. So those commercials are 100 percent correct. And that's what the president is trying to stop. And the president is getting attacked for it. So okay, anyone who believes How crazy is that? So people who believe that people are giving up their children and they're being. No, these people are selling their children because of money either selling them or they're using their own children to come here that way and risking their mm -hmm. lives. If you leave a child in your car with the window closed, how quickly will you be arrested for endangering the life of that child? You have people dragging these children through a 130-degree desert with poisonous insects, poisonous snakes, and violent drug tra traffickers. I'd love to know why we don't prosecute people for endangering the welfare of those children. Well, and meanwhile, I'm sure you saw the news, the young six-month-old that was found coming over the border this weekend yep. that's in such critical shape. And we flew, and I think we should have, the father to be with this child in the hospital. But what about that father? Really? Well, and that, that, that's, a, that's a very good question. Uh, and look, we can't bring the whole world here. When we're told that we're not going to secure the border, let's give free medical care to anybody who comes here. That would turn America into the world's emergency room. And yeah. in point of fact, they're warning there. our inspectors about screening for the Ebola virus right now. Uh, we have a disaster on our hands, and there is nobody in, the ma in either political party in leadership who really want to change the dynamics. The Democrats have lost their mind. But where were the Republicans when they controlled both both houses in Congress? Yeah. So like on several other issues. A-W-O-L. 
And so Trump is fighting not making, just the I, other side, but the Republicans as well. That you don't agree with? No. You're, everything you're saying, Michael, you know I agree with it. And <laughs> Elizabeth agrees with it as well. And and another part of my panel on Monday just walked in, and that's, uh, of course, uh, Robert Steinbach. He is a law professor at UALR. And did you have something you wanted to yes. say? Yes. Michael, we've spoken before, and I really appreciate your views. And I recently wrote a piece in The Federalist making exactly the point that you're saying right now, which is – surprisingly not obvious to the leftists, which we cannot be the magnet to the world for the poor, the sick, etc. We don't have enough space, and we certainly don't have enough money for it, and we've got to make hard choices, and the hard choices help with, uh, start rather, with helping those at home first. Mm-hmm. You know, Professor, I couldn't agree with you more, and, and when, the, when the president made that point, about the public charge business, I started to say my mother came here ahead of the Holocaust as a 13-year-old. Her mother couldn't get out of Poland. We're Jewish. My, mother, my mother's mother, my grandmother, died in the Holocaust. I was named for her. My mother supported herself from the time she was 13 years old working in an umbrella factory. Indeed, you know, well, the idea of coming to America for a handout is crazy. If you want to come here and, and, and experience freedom, freedom to make your own life decisions, freedom to worship, freedom to work at whatever career you want, that's what America offers. But this isn't about a free ride. It never was, never was intended to be. And those public charge laws go all the way back to 1882. What's so remarkable, Associated Press said, well, the president reached back to a law that was first passed in 1882. They're right about the date, but it was part of every subsequent immigration law. It's not as though this was a law that no longer is on the book. It's very much a part, Title Eight, United States Code, Section 1182. By the way, Professor, off-air, if you, if you go to Dave, uh, get my contact info. I'd love to uh, be in touch with you if that uh, could be arranged. Of course, we'll do it. And Indeed, and I don't want to sort of uh, have to uh, overdo the history, our common history, but my grandparents were killed in the Holocaust. My parents came to the States after the Holocaust. My father luckily right. survived by... Uh, random chance being taken by the Soviets uh, ultimately uh, to Kazakhstan and then to uh, he went as part of the Zionist movement to Israel and so we share a very common past and when my father came here and we talked about how both my parents subsequently of course became citizens my father reflected on something that is very timely today and I'd love your opinion on it as well and he said Rob you were born here you are as American as anybody dating back to the creation of this country and I said well dad you're you're a citizen now so are you he said legally you're right morally I disagree morally I asked to come in here and by asking to come in here I can criticize but only up to a point and it, and the the issue that he was raising was the issue that relates to people like uh, Omar who comes here as an immigrant asks for our, our good graces and seems to have no gratitude my dad had nothing but gratitude for the greatness that was that is excuse me that is the United States of America I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, look, we all experienced the First Amendment, and I think that's important. But if you want to talk about biting the hand that feeds you, my goodness gracious, it, it, it boils my blood. What do mm-hmm. you think of that? Uh, uh, agreed. Michael Cutler, tell them where they can read your articles, where they can hear you. Absolutely. My personal website, obviously my favorite website, is michaelcutler.net, <laughs> C-U-T-L-E-R, it's one word. I write for frontpagemag.com, 
and I write for Dennis Michael Lynch, DMLnews.com. Um, and, and folks, please get involved. If this has your motor going, don't just say, oh, that was interesting or that's upsetting. Please get involved. They always make the point, and I know conservatives say it's not a democracy, it's a republic. But the way I express it is that democracy is not a spectator sport. We need to be involved, and we need to hold the politicians accountable, all of them at all levels. And they need to find out in no uncertain terms that we're not the fools that they had hoped that we are. I agree with you wholeheartedly, Michael. And we love having you on the air. (laughs) We're mad as hell, and we're not taking it anymore. That's That's exactly right. You're exactly for network. JFQ was right. (laughs) We're going to let you go, Michael. Thanks so much for being part of the Dave Ellswick show today. We'll get back in touch maybe a week. Okay. Love to do it, Professor. Don't forget to reach out to me. I will not. God bless. I'm going to give him the stuff. Talk to you later, brother. All right, Michael Cutler here on the uh, the Dave Ellswick show. All right, a break, and then we'll come back. And uh, Robert Steinbach is his. There is here his his opinions are his and his alone, not necessarily those of the Bowen School of Law or UALR, though they should be. And uh, Elizabeth is here. When we come back, I got to talk about this. This is a big story. Had you seen this yet, uh, there, uh, Robert? Democratic field uh, going to be down to a four-horse race. And this big one, new poll shows Biden falling behind Warren and Sanders. Come on, man! All right. That's we'll my talk Biden. further about it when we come back. No, I want Biden. It's the first shot in, this, in what's going to be a multi-year case, I got to believe. Uh, Robert, an That's Oklahoma right. judge found Johnson and Johnson liable for stoking the opioid crisis in the state. Said that the company has to pay five hundred seventy-two million, far less than the seventeen billion the state was seeking. Uh, judge Thad Balkman of Cleveland County District Court in Norman uh, is the first judge to rule in the opioid cases brought to trial by thousands of state and local. Uh, governments against opioid manufacturers and distributors. His president uh, setting ruling was being closely watched as 2,000 other pending suits await to be heard before a federal judge in Ohio in October. J&J, that's Johnson Johnson, said it plans to appeal Bachman's ruling. What a big surprise. With that in mind, how long do you think this goes? Ten years? Could be. Longer. Could be. No. I mean, it could be a little bit longer, but the truth is uh, five to ten years is probably the reasonable range. For all the states? Class yeah. action and everything? Yeah. And and completing the yeah. cycle? Yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. quicker than I, I mean, would guess. I go back. I think for this one, you go back. How long did it take to do take care of big tobacco? Right, and that's what I'm basing it on. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but my sense is closer to the 10-year mark, but probably not much more than that. Yeah, they're not going to give up billions of dollars easily. Of course not. Of course not. <laughs> don't expect These it. types of but, cases can, as they did with Dow Chemical, who made the breast implants, lead to bankruptcy. It mm-hmm. can put Johnson Johnson out of business, well, theoretically. For $4.7 billion, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, I mean, what kind of money do they have if they can afford to pay a judgment like that and still stay in business? Mm-hmm. Look at okay. how much they owe under JJ. I mean, that's, yeah. they've got a ton of stuff that they own. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You oh, it's huge! It's facial a, it's creams and all, everything yeah, yeah, yeah. else. No, it's it's. <clears throat> excuse me. It's quite it's quite large, but there's a point at which then you can't recover. 
Oklahoma Attorney General Mike Hunter brought the case to trial for seven weeks, arguing the pharmaceutical company executed an extensive marketing campaign that overwhelmed the market and misled consumers about the addictive risks of the drudge. According to U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, opioids were responsible for more than 400,000 overdose deaths from 99 to 2017. Hunter was seeking $17 billion to cover all costs related to the state addressing the epidemic for the next 30 years, including treatment and prevention programs. Oklahoma lawyers dubbed J&J an opioid kingpin and alluded to its marketing tactics as a public health nuisance under law. However, J&J absolves itself of any misconduct presented research that said its painkillers comprise just a fraction of uh, opioids, etc., uh, etc. Et well, this, this is a cycle that we see often, right? We saw it with tobacco. Uh, we see it with other major products where at some point the pendulum swings and then people go after the producers Sometimes it's right, sometimes it's not right, and depending on what we knew at the time. Uh, but I think uh, I think it's this is a a real big risk now for companies like Johnson and Johnson that were selling these drugs. But you know the bigger issue I think is we have I think it's half a million deaths a year from medical negligence that includes overprescription, I believe, and yet of course the left focuses on. Guns, for example. Yeah. Right? And it was, what's the guy's name? African-American um, physicist. He put out a tweet a week or two ago pointing this. And, Degazi? Degazi? No, no that, that's not the one. And he, and he put out a, a tweet and he said something like half a million deaths from medical illnesses, 40,000 deaths from car accidents, and a whole bunch of other things, pointing out that the number of deaths from rifles couple hundred, a few hundred a year. Mm-hmm. And that includes these mass shootings and other. And he's, he was just trying to point out maybe we should be focusing our attention and resources elsewhere. And wow. they, they came they, down on him. Did they oh, attack him? Oh, they came huh. down him. And, and this guy's got an extra hole in his body that's not from a bullet. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, uh, did, did you give me, it took Dave a second to catch on to that one. Don't worry, folks. But he's, he's up to speed now. He's, he's up now. to speed. He got right? there. Right. Yeah, he got there. And, uh, uh, that he essentially retracted a statement. Here's the odd thing about it. It's fact. Like the statement itself is fact. Yeah. You can't dispute the statement. But he basically retracted the statement because <laughs> they went after him, the lefties. And so I really think we should be spending a lot more attention and a lot more time and legislation on dealing with medical errors. In fact, I helped draft a bill that didn't pass when I worked in the Senate on that type of it, on that issue. But it's not, you see, it's not glamorous. And it's, it doesn't appeal for the lefties to their lefty base. Well, let, now, let me ask a question. Let yeah. me ask a question. I hear the left talking about their anti... Three minutes left. Anti-corporation, right? Anti-big or big companies. They're, they're making profits off the backs of Americans, blah, blah, blah. This is one of those issues that I'm tending to falling, fall along with them on that side of this argument. I've seen those commercials on television that just give me the chills by the drug 
the government drug people. You've seen them. The guy says, you know, I didn't know when they gave me opioids for my dental procedure that I was going to get addicted. He drives his car into a truck, you know, tries to break his arm and all this stuff. It's horrifying. And when I look at the numbers of pills that were produced by these companies, I'm sorry, I got to come down on that side oh, of it. They I, knew I, you know that what, they were producing you know way where, more than we could absolutely need. Not only did, did they know, there were be it the producer or the middleman, but I've heard stories where there are places like, I think it's West Virginia. Yes, but Kentucky. The, right, where there was one pharmacy mm-hmm. that ordered enough pills to, to, to kill everybody in the town ten times over. Yeah, we need right? to go after those people. I'm right. sorry, and that's so, wrong. And of course, people would come in, they would buy them from these pill mill prescriptions. Everybody right. knew where to go. And, and the companies were either aware of it, some of these companies in that chain, or they were negligent. All right, we're out of yep. time. Elizabeth, I know you're leaving us. Thanks for having me today. Have a safe trip back to Conway as you go the way of the NASCAR Speedway on I-40. Uh. Have, a, have a good trip back, <laughs> and then I will talk to you. Robert, stick around. we got a lot to talk about. You're going to miss talking about Biden, Elizabeth. Sorry. Come on, man. Uh, I could stick around for a little while longer, now, but I'll listen in the car. All right. Talk to you when we uh, get you back here maybe next Monday. A quick break, and then uh, we'll be right back. The Hill reports a new poll shows that Biden has fallen into third place. We'll give you all the information when I come back. All right, back here on the Dave Ellswick Show on a Monday. And a huge story coming out of the Hill today, This just today. Joe Biden's support in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination is slipping. Well, it's been slipping for a while. Uh, That, according to a new survey from Monmouth University, and uh, they're pretty reputable, at least for the Democrats. Democrats like to quote them a lot. Uh, That shows the former vice president dropping below 20%. That's a huge, huge drop. The man was over way over 30%. When he announced a few months ago, surveys showed Biden with support from 19% of Democratic and Democratic-leaning voters nationally, which is a double-digit decline from the Mammoth's most recent poll in June, where he led the pack with 32%. Now the dynamics have completely changed. According to this new survey, Senators Bernie Sanders... And Elizabeth Warren, uh, the primary field's top progressive candidates, are each at 20%, putting them in a statistical tie with Biden and indicating a tightening three-way race. Now, let me be honest with you. I told you all along that this would be a tight race. Nobody was going to blow anybody out of this race. Am I surprised it happened so quickly? Absolutely. I am surprised that we're in the end of August and it's this uh, this close, which tells me coming up in September, the third Democratic debate, a lot on the line. A lot. Do you realize it's going to Warren may be at the center? Sure, it's one these or Sanders could be a decider with to the left and the right would be uh, you know, Sanders and uh or, or Warren, Warren and, and uh, Biden. Biden. And of course if 
Sanders is in the center and Warren and Biden are off to each side, they better protect their eyes from those flailing arms that are Bernie's, you know, with his <laughs> fingers. <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm going to yeah. do. Here's yeah. what I'm going to do. I love that. Oh, my god! You got to love that watching that on, on Facebook Live. Oh. He, does, he does that mess up your hair. Well, your yeah. hair's not long enough. It's not long You got to mess up your hair. And, and then comb that. it from the back all the way forward. <laughs> Let me tell you what I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do. Truth. It is. Uh, that's too good. Oh, man. You're good, Robert. Oh, my God. That, that's my every you great missed, uncle. You, you, know? missed your, you missed your calling. Yeah. 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 My, my calling is, is being a, being an old Jewish guy who moved out of Brooklyn to, to uh, Vermont. Or, or as... Uh, um, as Joe Biden would say, New Hampshire, Vermont, what's the difference? Come on, there you man. Go. Yeah, Woo. Dartmouth College, uh, I was somewhere. <laughs> you know, the, the thing you about, heard about that, oh, right? Of course. The, he, the, notice now, in all seriousness, notice Joe Biden talking, and he will repeat phrases over and over again. And here's my diagnosis. And I don't mean this medically, but here's my assessment. When he starts repeating stuff, it's because he can't think of the next thing to say. And it becomes obvious. He can't remember. He can't remember. And that's partly the, come on, man, which is he is attacked by somebody, as he was, and he can't figure out what to do about it. So it's like, come on, man, come on, buddy. You, why are you being so mean to me? That's his response. And it's akin to, of course, when Obama said to Putin, cut it out. Cut it out. Really? You're the commander-in-chief of the most powerful army in the world, and I'm not saying you attack Russia, but you are the most powerful person in the world, and you're- And the war- best comeback you got is cut it right. out. Cut it out? That doesn't even work in a bar. Cut it out? That would just lead to more aggression. It will indeed. Of course, we know that, right? Listen, the world is a dangerous place. We know the world's a dangerous place. There are a lot of dangerous players. Sometimes we say in the vernacular, dangerous actors, not like TV actors, right? But dangerous actors out there. And that's why we are reticent about being overly engaged in foreign affairs. Not our foreign affairs, but the affairs of foreign nations. Equally, we are uh, concerned or at least cognizant that we can't have open immigration. And the Dems are, well, we're not for open immigration. We just think if you show up, you should be able to come into the country and get free health care and food and clothing uh, and everything else. That's open wait, immigration. Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah. So what is open immigration in their eyes? It, 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 exactly. And, I mean, and, seriously? Yeah, the difference is if I were if I were to have to put my position – myself in the position of a lefty, the only thing that I could articulate a distinction would be say, well, theoretically, under my plan, you've got to go back before a court that you never show up and answer to. And in open immigration, you never have to. So what's the what's the practical difference, you might say, to the lefty? And the answer would be, humana, humana, humana. <laughs> they don't have an answer, Dave. But, 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 but humana, humana, come on, man. Tied up at the pier. But, exactly. But, 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 that's the way it goes. Okay, so. So the dynamics have changed with top three. Who are four and five? Well, Harris was a distant fourth in Monday's poll, today's poll, 8%. Her level of support unchanged from Monmouth's June survey. Can I comment on that? That's not good. Yeah, because Tulsi Gabbard took her down, and she did an effective job at it. Meaning, if you're going to be a lefty, if you're going to be against law enforcement, if you're going to be against safety in cities, 
then you better not have just recently been the attorney general <clears throat> who threw a whole bunch of people in jail. Yeah. It's in not California. In California. Yeah. Including, since the left is always appealing to identity politics, including a lot of people of color, disproportionately, by the way. Well, in in San Francisco now, you're not a convicted fellow, felon. felon. You're a justice-involved person. Oh, of course. Of course. That's your new terminology. Right. I'm not making that up. That's exactly. true, Zach. Of Zach's course. looking at me like, what? Right, right, you right. think I'm making a joke? No. Uh the San Francisco city government's response to the rising crime rate changed convicted felon to justice-involved person. Yeah, I've, this is where political correctness leads us. Th- this is what we like to call jumping the shark. Nobody can take this behavior sh- seriously. You remember, of course, the phrase jumping the shark. Yeah, it started with the uh, happy days That's right. when... Uh, the Fonz jumped the shark on his motorcycle. That's right. And that's when everybody, when people generally recognize the show, sort of went off Done. the rails. Yes, it was well, over. And when the lefties go off the rails, <clears throat> when they jump the shark, shall we say, is when they start changing words to gobbledygook. And that's what they've done here. They've changed the words to gobbledygook. Yeah. Nothing means nothing. No. I mean... No, nothing means something. Yeah, it means and something. And something means nothing? Yeah. And who's on first? That's it. There you go. You have no idea. Have a nice day. So Harris now is at 8%. South Bend Mayor... Uh, Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg, who has registered among the top contenders in polls for months, now tied for fifth place with Cory Booker at a resounding 4%. Part of what hurt him amongst the left, incidentally was they had some issues at with home. The, with, with the black folks. Right, and with the, the, the he fired a police uh, chief who was black, and then there was somebody who got shot by, a, a, I believe, a white cop yep. that shot a, a black person. And and guess what? It didn't it didn't play out well for him. It did not. And He's very smart. I will, let me tell you. He's a very intelligent person, Pete Buttigieg. What are, by the way, do you have any idea what... No, co- see, I... I, I Completely disagree right, with that. Right, because you don't like his politics, neither do I. Well, but I, yeah, if you believe in leftism, oh, well, if you believe in socialism, you cannot be very, very you smart. You know, I, I will say this. It's sort of, you're right in a sense. I, I agree with that assessment. Here's the thing. It's like the guy who can do math uh, with his hands tied behind his back and a paper bag over his head, but he doesn't know how to walk down the street or how to interact with people. But there's still, still some sort of intelligence there. Pete Buttigieg has some level of intelligence intelligence that is more significant than the other lefties. They are all greatly diminished because they don't understand basic economics. And this is where you're 100% right, Dave, when we say, look, it's one thing to say we disagree with the left. That's a moral disagreement. That's okay. But they deny basic facts. They deny facts like, well, you can't open up the borders and expect us to be able to persist financially. Mm. They say, sure you can. They they believe that you can spend trillions of dollars on this so-called Green New Deal, and it's going to make us money, right? Because the leftist philosophy of the more you spend, the more you make. No, that doesn't work either. So there are dramatic, fundamental failures of basic reasoning when it comes to economics and political engagement that the left has embodied now for at least a dozen years. But with that said, he has other types of intelligence that some of the other candidates don't have. I wouldn't vote for him. 
That's for sure. All right. Four other candidates, former tech executive Andrew Yang, former Housing and Urban Development Secretary Julian Castro, former Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Are we being too loud? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> huh? They're closing my door. They're closing the door. I don't want to hear the show down the hall. I took a shower anyway. last week. Yeah. Former no. uh, Congressman Beto O'Rourke of Texas. Who's, and, who is just an idiot, by the way. And best-selling author Marianne Williamson garnered support from more than 1% of the respondents in the poll. So, and uh, this is the contrast. Beto O'Rourke is not intelligent on any metric. But that's the thing. They, they have a lot of candidates still running. And you're absolutely right, Dave. In r- relatively short order, it's going to start to narrow. Two things are going to happen. Who winds up on a debate stage? Mm-hmm. That's somewhat artificial. Very big. Very big, but somewhat artificial. And then, of course, the second thing, once we what, – what's the first one? Iowa, right? Yeah. yeah. So Always. One, right. And so once we have Iowa and then New Hampshire, that's going to narrow the field as well. Dramatically. Indeed. That's 100% correct. Dramatically. And, and as it should. That Some people say they have After those two, three, maybe four total. People still That's in the race. It. Right. Probably just three. Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. this point, you can see the three that are going to be there. And it will be a function of money. Right? Mm. Meaning, yep. that's, and this is not a critique, meaning people will start to coalesce around the candidates that have a viable chance of winning and the others will not garner money. Of course, there may be the holdout. There may be the holdout of the great mayor from New York City. <laughs> de Blasio. Bill he said, de Bl- if you want to vote for the right guy, vote for the tallest. He did say de that. De Blasio. He did. But, you know, he was, uh, to give him at least a pass on some things, I saw the beginning of his talk on CNN. What what, what do they call that when you meet with people? Whatever it's called. And and the host starts going off on his height. And the ho- host is a woman, and women are generally shorter than men. And she, I think, was an Asian, is an Asian woman, and Asians are generally shorter than than white. So she, he's probably a foot taller, I think she said, than than she is. And he, and she's sort of gushing on the height thing for several minutes. So uh, I won't actually critique him on the comment because she just kept going on and it just shows you how solicitous cnn is to these candidates let me ask you another softball question let me call up somebody <laughs> from the audience who will give you a t-ball stand so you can hit it off on it was it's just i don't even know if biden can do that oh no the, the, biden only needs someone holding him up i mean really seriously it says uh, the main takeaway from the poll is that the democratic race has become Volatile, said Murray, who's the head of this poll. Mm-hmm. Uh, liberal voters are starting to cast about for a candidate they can identify with. Moderate voters who have been paying less attention seem to be expressing doubts now about Biden. But instead of gravitating toward a lesser known but more centrist minded alternative, moderate voters are swinging more toward one of the left leaning contenders with high name recognition. Indeed, Biden has lost support among Democrats who identify as either moderate or conservative. That's crazy. Well, and it could be dangerous for them, of course, in the general. Here's the question, and I don't have the answer. If they have a real lefty candidate, will that bring out more of their base or at the expense, of course, of the moderates? 
what's the net result? Or if they have a moderate candidate, do they get the lefties and then the moderates show up as well to vote for that moderate as well as pulling some people who are independents who might have voted for Trump? All right. So now let me give you the coup d'etat. Yes. All right. Here it is. Or the coup d'etat, which I like to dip in the horseradish. (laughs) In in June, roughly 40% of moderate and conservative Democrats. Now, you have to use that term loosely. All right. But anyway, uh, they said they backed Biden's bid for the nomination. What do you think that number is now? No clue. 22%. And this is. That's huge. Yeah. And of course, this is the danger. You saw Biden's most recent campaign. He's in a free fall. Yeah. And Biden's most recent campaign ad called Bones. By the way. Do you want to call a campaign ad for a guy older than dirt, Bones? <laughs> right? I mean, is that it? I, is, is I it understand like, what you're it, saying. Is that's all that's left of him is Bones at this point, right? The rest is pretty much... I think you should call it E.D. E.D. Anyway. Maybe he can be like Bob Dole. After after he loses, <laughs> he can go on and do the E.D. commercials. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Right? right? Or, he can, or he can be Dole like... Dole made some good money off of he that. He did. Uh, or you can be like um, the former... Speaker, and you can do the marijuana commercials. One of the two. I forgot about right? that. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know, you got a a ninety six percent chance, a ninety six percent chance of losing one hundred and eleven thousand dollars in Social Security benefits, according to new research in Bloomberg. Ninety six percent of you and I and our neighbors lose one hundred and eleven thousand dollars in Social Security benefits because we take our benefits at the wrong time. Learn how you can avoid this by attending an educational workshop, Maximizing Social Security with David Lucas, right here in Little Rock. There's two workshops in September, Tuesday the 24th, Thursday the 26th. Registration is 20 bucks. Seats are selling fast, so if you've saved $250,000, register now by calling 501-653-6690 in the workshop will reveal the little-known strategies that could help you wring every nickel out of your benefits that are rightfully yours. I mean, they are. They're rightfully yours. Call 501-653-6690 or register online at davidlucasfinancial.com. All right, so we're down to about two minutes before we got to hit the news. Robert, when you look at this last poll... Yeah, and Biden is at uh, is is right there with the other. He's at nineteen. Warren's at twenty. Sanders is at twenty. I don't see any any way any other candidate can make a run. Do you? You know that's it's a really insightful question. I mean that sincerely. It is possible, although highly remote at this point. So if they wind up, I mean, time has run out. Right. So what happens if they all sort of wind up in roughly equal positions and no one is a breakout and so none of them garner that many of the votes towards the nomination earlier on in the process and then a white knight. Oh, gosh, I said white. He can be black, by the way, or she can be black. But a white knight comes in and has great popularity that is the only possibility. So theoretically it exists, but 
In reality, it's highly unlikely. The only way I would say somebody could get into this race now and shoot right to the top, Michelle Obama. That's the only only name. I think I think that's I think there. that's. What do you think? And I don't know the answer to this, but what do you think about what was it, Bloom Bloomberg? Nah. Think, no, no, nah. people wouldn't. We'll take come it. back. Do, do, we'll talk more yeah. about it. We yep. got a break. Yep. We got the news coming. I don't think Bloomberg turns on people. Yeah. Here's the news. We'll be back. You have type 2 diabetes? I do. And it really kind of messes with your lifestyle, if you know what I'm saying. And we know that uh, type 2 diabetes is a lot to take on. But there is some good news. Uh, There's a new study that might be able to help you out. Might be able to help me out. If you suffer from uh, type 2 diabetes and are only on metformin, you may qualify for the new study going on over at Applied Research Center of Arkansas. Uh, Of course, uh, participants receive study-related care at no cost and compensation for time and travel. Now, there are a couple of requirements. One, you have to have an A1C of 8 or above. Well, that drops me out immediately. I'm not 8 or above. I'm just above 6. And you have to be 18 years of age or older on metformin and taking uh, 1,500 milligrams uh, only. And they're enrolling in this study for type 2 diabetes. You should check into it if you meet those requirements. Think of some of the other uh, uh, studies they got going on, low testosterone, kidney stones, ulcerative colitis, uh, GERD. Uh, They've got endometriosis. Bunions, gout, uh, things dealing with uh, your knee, some arthritis of the knee. You've got to be 18 years and older for that. All kinds of stuff going on right now. Uh, visit them at their website, arcarkansas.com, arcarkansas, one word, dot com, or call them. Talk to them specifically, 501 954 78 22, 78, 22. All right, back. Let's go to the phones. we got Teresa in Little Rock. Teresa, you got a question about the Electoral College. Go. Yes. Uh, you know how a lot of the 2020 Democrats and liberals are talking about trying to do away with it through a constitu- change in the Constitution? Yes. I had seen something, and I went and followed up online. Have you ever heard of the popular vote interstate compact? Yes, that's the way they're trying to beat the Electoral College right now. But I don't hear many people talking about it. They're up to 196 votes right now, and they said there's 14 more states looking at it. But my question is, is it really constitutionally legal? Because if you get up to 270, then that says that those states have to agree with the popular vote. Well, what if that state doesn't like it after all? I mean, I just... I don't know how it falls out, I guess, is what I'm trying to figure out. Well, here's how it will shake out. If, let's say, they get the number that they think that they need to get, it's a constitutional question. So guess what happens? It's going to the courts. They will begin, if if uh, the side that wants to hold on to the Electoral College, most of us that are conservatives want to hold on to the Constitutional College, what Mm -hmm. will happen is that at that point... Uh, somebody will bring suit, and it will have to be decided in the courts. And if the courts get to that point, I I expect they say, 
It's unconstitutional. It must go through the Congress, and they must pass, and then the state legislatures, and they must pass a constitutional amendment. And then they had to change the Constitution with the 38 states. That's correct. Well, you know, the ERA amendment thinks that it's fixing to get the 38th state, even though it didn't make a 10-year time frame. They keep saying that. They haven't shown up with that last state yet. But, you know, five rescinded their vote. Okay. Anyway, well, I just kind of, it's interesting to watch how everything falls it out. It is and interesting. I, it's a very interesting question. See, and I don't see many people talking about the popular vote interstate compact. That's why I was kind of curious if you were aware of it. Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I haven't talked about it, because I don't take it serious. I'll be honest with you. I don't take <laughs> it serious because I know it don't matter. Because if they get those th- if get uh, those votes that they think that they've got, then it's going to go into the court system. I mean, they'll they'll be told they can't do it, and it have to make its way up to the Supreme Court, and that's the way it'll be. I just figured they'd try to get around it with what is it, the Tenth Amendment or the Ninth, where the states can do stuff without the federal government. Yeah, I don't think that that's. Let's be honest, Teresa. That would be a real stretch. For most of the people, that would be a huge stretch for any conservative serving in Congress. Well, it would be, but you know they use the Fourteenth Amendment, and this is uh, for same-sex marriage. Well, I'm not going to disagree, but it that, that happened in the Supreme Court. Yes. All right. I, I just was curious, and I, I'm glad to know that I I thought it was unconstitutional, but yet they still keep pushing it. It's the left. Teresa, it's the left. Come on. You know they keep pushing it. Well, yes, they push everything, and then when you push back, they call you racist, deranged, unhinged. Um, Teresa, are you any of those things? No, I'm not, and I don't don't believe I'm mental health because I talk to the Lord. There you go. Don't worry about it. I talk to God every day, so I'm telling you you're fine. And I can well, tell I you, agree. I can tell you, but for the unhinged, I'm none of the others. <laughs> what? Huh? What? I decided I was going to make me an A to Z list this year with all the names I'm called through the paper and the talking heads and the politicians. Yeah, I got you. I'm going to let you go. Thank you so Thanks. much for your call. It's we, a good question. We appreciate it. But a good, and a good answer from you. You know what? Days. There's a lot of people out there that get worried about that. And I understand your worries. However... It will have to go to the Supreme Court. Now, if the Supreme Court would rule four, at that point, I probably will start talking about where I want to live other than the United States of America. Because mm-hmm. at that point, it's not going to be the United States of America anymore. It's not going to be. Just telling you. All right. So Bernie Sanders had something to tell, say today. You want to hear what he had to say yesterday? Here's what I'm going to do. Yeah, here you go. Hey, and Cut number six. Play it for us. Very few people have been attacking me. I think one candidate in the media picks up on it. Again, we have not changed one word of our... We have not changed one word of our Medicare for All system. No deductibles, no copayments. The vast majority of the American people save money. The issue, again, as I've just said, is that if you are a worker in a union shop and the company says, well, we're going to offer you a 3% wage increase, but... You know what? It's you're going to have to pay. You're going to lose four percent in your health care. Your deductible is going up. Your premium is going up. Those workers have given up wage increases 
in order to retain the health care that they have. Those are the workers we are reaching out to in this, uh, what we're doing right now. But we have not changed one word in our Medicare for All program, which is gaining more and more support for the American people. The American people understand that we have a dysfunctional system in which so many people are uninsured, underinsured, and which we spend twice as much per person on health care as do the people of Canada or any other industrialized nation. Now, it is true. We're going to take on hundreds of millions of dollars from the health care industry and 30-second TV ads. They're going to distort what I'm trying to do. They're going to demonize me personally. But at the end of the day, the American people will go forward in guaranteeing health care to all people as a human right, just as every other major country does. Amazing. This guy, this guy can I, what, liar. Dave, what number? He, he said 3% and then he said 4 What number is 4 Yeah. <laughs> He's a liar. I'm telling you, he's a liar. Here's what he says. People are taking the amount of money, that extra money they made, and they're buying health insurance with them. So be honest with them, Mr. Sanders, Senator, and tell them, we're going to take that money from you as well. We're going to take it from you because you're going to have to pay more to be able to have government. You know what the old saying is? If you want to see how expensive uh, you know, your, your insurance can get for health care, wait till the government makes it free. You found that out partially already under Obama. Now Sanders is saying... Is, is uh, selling you this pig in a in a poke? Come on, surely you're smarter than that. They're not smarter than that, Dave. And stop calling them Shirley. <laughs> in any event, uh, we know this. This is the problem with the socialist program. There's not enough money to pay for it, right? No, there's not. And it's always somebody else's money that's going to pay for it. And it's such utter and sincere nonsense. It's not going to cover everything. It doesn't in England. It doesn't in Canada. I'm just telling you, it doesn't. Here's what will happen. Here's my pr- my prediction. If the American people can fall for this piece of crap, all right, that Sanders is saying that he's pushing, you, do, you let that happen? Well, here's the problem. If he gets away with... Uh, he does away with private insurance, then we're all in a bad canoe. I'm just telling you. That's right. Because over in England, you can buy supplementals. Over in Canada, you can buy supplementals. Look, I'm on Medicare right now. I've got a supplemental that I, between my wife and I, we pay over $300 for. It covers everything that Medicare won't cover. My mother had a supplemental. And it's we, called Supplemental F. Guess what? After uh, next year, can't get it any longer. Got to go to G. Is that right? That's correct. She had private supplemental from Blue Cross Blue Shield. I happen to be a big fan generally of Blue Cross Blue Shield. I used to have them. I don't have that option now. But when I was actually in Maryland, I had Blue Cross Blue Shield. And my mother had them and my father had them. And they were great. And so... When I retire, I would buy, if everything stays the same, Blue Cross Blue Shield. What happens if you can't buy that supplemental? Do you know what types of services would not have been covered for her? And I don't think we could have been able, we couldn't have been able to afford it. And it's that simple. It's, it's what, what people like Bernie want to do. And by the way, Obama was the same. He didn't tell it to you. Neither is Bernie. Right. But exactly. But 
what Obama and Bernie want to do is they want to create coverage for everybody at the expense of the coverage that you work hard to get right now, Dave. And so some people who don't have coverage, and there are, I think, like, what's it, 50 million people? There's a lot. Right? Without coverage, at least before Obamacare. Uh, and so they want to say is you got to give up some of your coverage for them. And we've talked about this before, Dave. I, it's less than 10%. Oh, it's much less. Uh, I believe in a social welfare net. But, you know, I also have said time and time again, I pay more than enough in taxes. I don't get nearly enough in services. And the one, and one of the many things I don't want to cut anymore, I don't want to give up anymore, is my health care services. Sorry. So, that, well, what about the other guy? It's really not nice, Rob, that, that you're sitting there <clears throat> with an adequate coverage of health care. And by the way, my health insurance is so-so. It's not terrible, but it's not great. You have this, and I pay for the rest out of pocket, Dave. Uh, well, mm-hmm. you know, what you pay for out of pocket or what coverage you get, Rob, Well, you, if you skimmed a little off of that so you had less, someone else could have more. I know. I know. And you know what my next response is? I ain't interested. Oh, you know, you're mean. You're you're mean and you want to keep... Keep your names coming and keep my medical care coming. All right. All right. So somebody wrote to me and says on the on this whole popular vote thing, Dave, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. ask Robert Steinbach this question. He's in the room. Yeah. Oddly enough. They send it to me. And I will ask this of you. I'm listening. Federalism trumps states' rights. We'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, back. Uh, we just got like seven minutes left before the news at the top of the hour. And uh, a listener says, on the popular vote, ask Rob, federalism trumps, I like that, put a little presidential no, no thing to intended. it, trumps states' rights. Well, it raises, of course, the broad, uh, broad question, what's the purpose of the Electoral College? And it's to recognize states' rights as state entities and to recognize regional differences. So I said to Dave off the air, I said, there are legitimate arguments on both sides of either having the popular vote or having the Electoral College, meaning I don't think either argument is ridiculous. It's not like people are just saying, well, Martians say, or my tinfoil hat tells me. No. But with that said, we would be absolute fools to engage in consideration of a popular vote unless you lived on one of the coasts you basically give up what little authority what little power the whole middle of the country has or unless you live in a metropolis right which are the coasts as we discussed and essentially chicago right and that's it other than that you have no political power if you give up the Electoral College. Now, you, you made a very valid point when we were just sitting here talking, and it's something we need to talk about on mm-hmm. the air. They talk about, well, look, they won the popular vote. They should be president right. or whatever. Right. However, let's think about this. When you run for president, you don't run on the popular vote. Right. These guys know, and ladies know, you run for the Electoral College. Exactly. So you run your campaign accordingly. To- I mean, just like last year, as we start getting closer and closer, they start saying, well, this, this state's leaning this way. This state's right. leaning that way. It's you, you, 
last last couple of weeks, you don't fly to the major cities. Well, think, think you of, fly to the major states. There are three categories of states when you run for president under our current system. States you're definitely going to lose, and essentially you don't go there. Although Trump was smart, he did from time to time. Then there are states you're definitely going to win. Those states you also don't go there that much. Why? Because you're going to win them already. And then states that are on the margin because you want to swing them. And all you want is 51% of each state. Michigan. Right. Pennsylvania. Right. Wisconsin. Right. And and probably Florida. And right? Florida. Right. And so that's the kind of campaign you run. Now, if you switch to a popular vote system, don't you think that a Trump or a Bush or whatever Republican other than Reagan goes to California? Not with the expectation, of course, of getting 51 percent because 51 percent doesn't matter. It's the number of votes now. So as to increase the number of votes that you get in that state. And the answer is, of course, that candidate would. We don't know what the outcome would would have been. I'm not here to say Trump would have won the popular vote. By the way, I don't care because that's it not does, the system. It's, it's inconsequential. Right. And, and, you know, we've talked about this before off, the, off and on the air. And, you know, I don't know sports much and sports analogies. But it's like saying the guy who ran the most yards in the football game should have won. That's right. But he never crossed the goal line. And so if you want to change the game to whoever runs the farthest, knock yourself out. I suspect that team owners would choose different players to achieve that goal. That's right. You don't win a football game by having the most offense. Right. You win the football game by having the most points. Right. I've seen many a team lose that have the most offense, and they don't have any defense, and they give up more points than what their offense can score. Exactly. And so the same thing, of course, is where people are, well, she won, and the— you know, I'm a very strong supporter of Trump, and people sometimes, you never disagree with him. You know where I disagree with him? When he said something to the fact, well, I think I think I did win the popular vote in California. I wouldn't even go there. You know what, what my response would be? Good for them. Who cares? Who wants to live in California? That would have been my answer. <laughs> exactly. But who cares? <laughs> Meaning, you, you haven't told me anything relevant. You, yeah. And, and, of course, these... Or, yeah, I probably didn't win the popular vote, but how many of those popular votes were legal? Yeah, well, that, that's a legitimate question, right? And then and they'd say, "Listen, uh, Mister or Ms. Reporter, with your uh, third-rate, mediocre college education, <laughs> who thinks you understands understand political science? Why should I care?" Well, you know, that's a mandate, but but that's not how the system works. No, it did doesn't. you ever take uh, American government while you were in college? Did you go to college? Did you go to high school? You did know, you did, study did, political science? Did you read a book? But, of course— Have you read the Constitution? Right. The pontificators-in-chief, which are now known as mainstream media, they, they've got the conclusion, and then they want to ask the question. That's why I heard the other day they say to Trump, Trump, during one of his speeches, said, instead of Dayton, I, I said a different city for a moment. Yeah, right? I said Toledo. Toledo whatever. I mean, I, let me be clear. All right, write the letters to Dave, first of all. But, what, <laughs> but whatever I mean is, yeah, he made a mistake, and, and it was an error, and it was— and it, particularly regarding this topic, you prefer not to have an error, but people make errors all the time. And so, well, then, therefore, this is what the press said, by the way. Well, if you think people make errors of it all the time, why are you criticizing Joe Biden? Folks, folks, in all seriousness, if when you watch Joe Biden, you don't see anything going on there that's unusual. <laughs> not Listen, I've misspoken, Dave. You've misspoken. 
Trump is misspoke. When? When? You know, the time you thought you were wrong and then <laughs> in fact right. you were correct. Yeah, right, and it exactly. was right. Yeah. Like but, I always <clears throat> knew I was right. And also, so we all have uh, malapropisms and other misspeaking from time to mm-hmm. time. But if you watch Joe Biden and you don't see something fundamentally different there, then you know what my advice is? Then vote for Joe Biden. Vote All right. Going to take a break. We'll come back. We got another hour. New push to solve the mystery. There is a mystery, or as Robert would say, absolutely not, of low numbers of minority law uh, clerks and in San Francisco's government. There is no longer such a thing as a convicted felon. They are now just justice-involved persons. I'm involved with justice. Here we go. Let's talk about it when we come back on the Dave Ellswick Show. Andrew Yang predicts he will double his campaign cash haul in third quarter. Dude, you got less than 1% following. So what? Oh, he's going to double from twenty dollars to forty dollars. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's what's maybe? The... Yeah. Vermont man who killed five teenagers while driving the wrong way gets thirty years to life in prison. Good. I like. Yeah, I like that. Okay. And last but not least, and this is uh, from Chicago. You love this one. A new online tool seeks to call attention to what officials have identified as a cause of gun violence in Chicago, where more people are shot and killed than in any other city now in the U.S. Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson unveiled the tool, which gives the public a quick way to see who's been arrested on gun-related charges and whether a given suspect has posted bail. Quote, if we're okay with how things are going, then don't look at it, Johnson said, as he announced the gun offender dashboard. But if you want to know why we are suffering from some of the things we are, then take a look at it and come to your own conclusions. Not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. It, look, I, I talked about this with Michael Cutler today, about uh, the president going to allow families to stay together, just going to have to stay longer on the border until they get in front of a judge. And I said, I think it's a good deal for the simple reason. It's trying to break the status quo. It's doing something different. And I, you know, I mentioned to Michael, as I always do, it's like, you know, what, uh, what's always been said, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. Wait, try it again, Dave. Yeah, I'm not going to do it. I I got the over and over. I think I did five of them. Look, I I think this is a pretty simple proposition. I was actually surprised that some of the Obama, excuse me, some of the Trump administration officials, when they were speaking on this issue, were a little reticent about sort of being forthright, it struck me at least, Mm -hmm. in what the policy is. If you come here seeking to come into our country, seeking refugee status, until we, the policy, the new policy is, consistent with my belief, my support, is until you establish that by having a judge determine that you are indeed a refugee, 
you don't get to go into the country. I mean, you get to stay in one of these centers. And so I heard some officials saying, well, we're keeping the families together. Well, but you're keeping them in the detention center. And they were like, well, but we're keeping them together. I would be very clear. We are keeping them together in a detention center out of coming into the American population because they're not entitled to. Well, and... And they're not entitled to just getting in, all right? right. It's, it's, you're using kids as a get-out-of-jail-free pass. That's right. The other thing is is that, as Michael said, it will break the back of some of this trafficking. Of course it will. Of course it will. And so that's that's a, an important secondary effect, meaning that we have to consider the incentive effect of freebies. Yeah. The more freebies you give, guess what happens? The more that come, right? You put out sugar water in a in a container and the hummingbirds come. Why? Because you're giving them food. You put a bird feeder out, the birds and the squirrels come. This should be of no surprise. You you open the doors to the greatest country in the world in the history of mankind. Boy, aren't you a national Yeah, America's the greatest country of all time. I'm sorry, you don't like it? In any event, you open the doors. People come. By the way, here's a funny thing, Dave. I don't blame them. I don't blame them one bit. They are acting entirely rational. That's why you need to create a countervailing incentive so that they understand that unless they truly qualify, they ain't getting in. And the countervailing incentive is you don't get in until you qualify. That's simple. You want me to tell you why your bird feeder one with the hummingbirds is even better? Yeah. Is that the young remember where the feeders are and after they migrate to mexico and come back they come back to those feeders i've had to remember it i've had some come back and i had one or two crash into my big windows and i've moved because you moved some no no i moved because my windows are too big and they just crash they fight each other and they crash into oh yeah well i've got them i've got it in the back and and this year i didn't put them up i put some flowers up there right if you go out of my house and the hummingbirds around, they dive bomb you because they're ticked off because right. the feeders are down. I've had them coming to the window, looking in the window. They're asking yeah. me where. I put them out front. Hey! I, I'm, I'm, I signal them out front. I don't think they understand. Yeah, I'm just saying. Right. That's a, it's a, it's a prime example. It's a perfect example. But it's a perfect example. example. Exactly. Perfect example. All right. The National Law Journal, a mm-hmm. new push to solve the mystery of low numbers of minority law clerks. A new effort underway to find the answer to a quandary that has long vexed, vexed, I tell you. It's a mystery. The federal judiciary, why so few minorities serve as law clerks. California Supreme Court Justice Goodwin Liu, a former clerk to Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, has joined former judge and federal judicial center director Jeremy Fogle and the American not the Fogel that's in prison with Subway, and the American Bar Foundation to delve into the question and come up with positive solutions for judges, law students, professors, and other players in the law clerk hiring process. Lou and Vogel acknowledge that the project is not an easy undertaking. Remarkably, little data on the subject is available. You haven't been reading you. Uh, and mm-hmm. the issue itself is touchy. Even judges who want, because you can't speak truthfully We're about it. We're going to do it here, Dave. We're going to do Even it on your judges, show. 
Even judges who want to hire more minority clerks are sometimes uneasy about seeking them out or discussing their hiring process. Dog whistles. Dog no, whistles. I'm just saying. Okay. That's okay. Go ahead. So let's. Th- th- there's a fair <laughs> amount to unpack, but we'll do it pretty quickly, I hope. First of all, let me describe to you what a clerkship is because it sounds like an unimportant position. It's not. It's not. It's it's a prestigious position. It's a bad title. Basically, you're a judge's assistant for a year or two, and you help draft the opinions that judges issue. And so judges typically take those at the top of the class for these positions, and they lean towards the better schools as well. But then they also, there's regional concerns like judges in Arkansas will often take uh, clerks, graduates from our law schools, as they should. I'm glad they do, by the way. And so, and the higher the court, generally the more prestigious. So the highest, most prestigious court is the United States Supreme Court. If you can clerk for one of the justices, that's a real impressive credential. The next one down is the federal Court of Appeals here in Arkansas. We are in the Eighth Circuit, which covers a large geography going all the way up north. It's a it's a geographic distinction. There are uh, twelve or thirteen thirteen no twelve um, circuits based on numbers. No, well thirteen. One is D.C., so there are thirteen geographic districts, and then only one topical. And I'm not going to bother explaining that irrelevancy. And then there's a trial court at the federal level. At the state level, there's a similar breakdown. And then does the highest state trump the federal trial level? Who knows? It depends. And anyway, so those are the jobs, right? So judges want what they believe to be the best and the brightest. There are two explanations for why you don't see a lot of minority clerks. One is these judges are a bunch of racists. So that's the, the, the liberal take on it. This guy, Lou was going to be appointed to a federal court of appeals, the Ninth Circuit. You're well aware of it. So is your audience. And the Republicans... The Ninth Circus. Right, the circus, exactly. And the Republicans stopped him. And so Jerry Brown appointed him to the California Supreme Court. And he's trying to find the mystery. Get Veronica Mars in. I can't figure (laughs) out the solution. Isn't that the truth? Right? Well... Oh, that's a good show. I just started watching that show on on Hulu or something, and man, is that a good show. In any event, it's dark. It is a dark show. In any event, I digress, as I often do. So here's the question. If you're taking the best and the brightest, Dave, what are you going to look at? Well, probably something like, I don't know, GPA. So let me... No, no, no. That's wait, racist. Huh? Well, here we go. That's racist. Here we go. I mean, Batter that, up. That's racist. Batter up. Can't do that. So, you know, I did, I, I've done many studies. One of my studies of a large group of students, the breakdown between black and white, there are other minority groups, but the other minority groups were small numbers. So uh, I can give you them, but they're so small, you can't really make any assessments. Okay. Uh, so in the top quarter of the class in terms of GPA. Now, if you if you want to hire the best and the brightest, right, you want to hire pro- probably even more narrow than the top quarter, maybe the top 10%, right. maybe the top 10 students, right? I don't know. But top 25% in a class that was, I don't know, 125, 150, little over 1% were African-Americans. 25%, 26%, in fact, were white. Meaning 
if you restrict yourself to um, that, uh, excuse me, a little over 1% of all the African-American students in that class were in the top quarter, just to be clear on what I'm saying here. Okay. Not 1% of the class. 1% of all the African-Americans in that class were in the top quarter. The rest were not. In if, the top 25%. In the top 25%. Only 1%. 1% of, I think, r- roughly 82 students. Okay. Now, it's got to be a little bit higher than 82, but in any event, right? So, 1%. So, then you say, well, where's the mystery? There's no mystery. If, if, if judges want to take from the top, and there's such a small percentage of African Americans in the top of their class, you're not going to have a high African American turnout. So, now the question is, wait a second, wait a second, Rob... Why is there such – you expect 25% of each group to be in each quarter. So yeah. you got 25% of the whites. What happened to all the African-Americans? Why is there not 25% of the African-Americans in um, the top quarter? It doesn't make any sense. Here's why. Because there's a feeding frenzy to get minority students. And because of the feeding frenzy, students are getting what's called mismatched, meaning a student – that should be going to BU gets picked up by Harvard because they say, oh, we need to fill our roster with minority students. We didn't get enough on our own, so we're going to dip down a little in terms of the application pool, in terms of the LSAT score, in terms of the undergraduate GPA, meaning those predictors of success in law school. And so they dip down. They let in those minority students. And guess what? Now, instead of going to BU, they're going to Harvard and Harvard is not – they're not well-suited for Harvard. And as a consequence – What a surprise right, there. Right. And as a consequence, they don't wind up in the top of the class. When I worked at the University of Georgia, since I clerked, I clerked in the United States Court of Appeals for the 11th Circuit. Wow. Uh, and when I clerked – since I clerked, when I, I was uh, teaching at the University of Georgia, they said, Rob, can you come join us in this committee because we want to talk about getting more of our students' clerkships. And I said, of course – And the head of the committee said, look, we all know that we're not going to place a lot of minority students. Right out of the bat, nobody objected, by the way. There were minorities on the committee and and white people on the committee. Why didn't anybody object? Because they just read the same math that I read. That person, by the way, that head of the committee, is now the dean of that law school. That, By the way, that guy wasn't initially hired at that law school, as I heard it, because he had clerked for Thomas and the lefties, some one lefty in particular, didn't like it. Eventually, he did get hired, and now he's at the dean of the law school. Think so, about that yeah. for just a moment, right. because he that. clerked right. for Thomas. That's right. The That's first right. black conservative Supreme Court justice. That's right. That's right. So the lefties will discriminate against the conservatives all the time. And then they engage in these race-based admissions programs that winds up with this mismatch effect. And the result is that there are very small numbers Overall, on average, uh, of African-Americans and other minorities. I happen to be breaking it down here. I don't want to just focus on that because it's a direct result of the desire to populate the class with minorities. And I have no objection, of course, to populating the class with minorities based on the metrics. But if you can't get the numbers, you can't get the numbers. And when you can't get the numbers, if you if you dip down lower – you shouldn't expect that that student base to be wind up graduating in the top of the class. And sure enough, the evidence 
produce, it shows exactly that. Wow. All right. A break. Boy, you just got a whole semester of why political correctness continues to destroy things. Oh, it, it harms those. Listen, those same students, if they went, if those, in my example, Harvard students went to BU, they make they would wind up where they belong in whatever percentage, and so a good portion would be in the top portion of the class. And then those judges that look to be you, usually local state judges in Massachusetts that look to be you, would pick up some of those students as clerks. But now they're going to a allegedly better school, but they're lower down in the class. They don't get picked up. Now he said, "Be you, not BYU. Right. Be you is Boston, Boston University. University, not yeah. Brigham Young University." Yeah. Just so you make yeah. sure. All right, a break. We'll be back with more in a moment. All right, so grab your mic there, Zach. I got a question for you. I want you to get involved with this as well. It appears that people really wanted a new chicken sandwich. Have you heard about this? About Popeye's has got a new chicken sandwich? Yeah, I heard about it on Twitter. Okay. Ever since announcing its new one, Popeye's has reportedly been selling out of it. Reports are coming in from across the nation along lines in restaurants exhausting their supply. The new sandwich keeps the formula simple. A buttermilk battered and hand-breaded chicken filet on a toasted brioche bun topped with pickles and either mayo or spicy Cajun spread. If you think it sounds delicious, well, you've got lots of company. Let me tell you about this uh, this is crazy. Popeye saw traffic to its restaurants spike nationwide by 103.3% on Wednesday, just over a week after the sandwich launched. Amazing. That's kind of crazy. I'm going to have to go try one now. I haven't been to Popeye's in so long, and I may have to as well. It's been a while. I, you know what I eat at Popeyes? I eat their their power salad. Okay, it's got like twenty five grams of protein in it. I eat that. I never get the Dave. Fun. Dave, you're scaring me. You go to Popeyes for a salad. Get get yourself a bucket of fried chicken. I didn't move to Arkansas for the guy on conservative radio to be eating a salad. Goodness, what's it got? Sprouts in it? No, no sprouts. All right, I wouldn't eat the sprouts anyway. Spit them out. Just the, way, just the way it is. That's lefty food is what that is. Okay, now, the, <laughs> the success hasn't gone unnoticed by other brands. Chick-fil-A tweeted out a message saying, bun plus chicken plus pickles equals all the love for the original. Their theirs? Yeah, theirs. Yeah, theirs. Yeah. Wendy's tweeted out, y'all out there fighting about which of these fools has the best, second best chicken sandwich. <laughs> Wendy's always has funny tweets, by the way, they, and they, they're good-natured about it. You know, yeah. they, they play around with their competitors. And McDonald's appears to be feeling the pressure. Blake Casper, the leader of the Coalition of McDonald's Franchises, released a memo to members insinuating that the company would be responding to the popular, popularity of Popeye's new sandwich. So by the way, that's reflective of, of competition, right? And that's Seven why seconds. free trade. It's free yeah, trade. Absolutely. Capitalism. All right, let's get the news. Come back. You're not a convicted felon in San Francisco, justice-involved person. All right, back with you on the Dave Ellswick Show. Political correctness. I love the stories on political correctness. 
San Francisco. Well, we just talked about it, by the way. The yeah. topic on the on the yeah. judges is the same thing. San Francisco is a city in decline. Of course it is. The cartoonish wealth of Silicon Valley surrounds an urban landscape beset by rampant hopelessness and the highest property crime rate in the country. Also poop. <laughs> Got to bring that in there. Mm-hmm. Local officials are doing everything in their power to confront the city's challenges, for example, by targeting a racist mural of George Washington at a high school bearing the founding father's name. They are intent on doing something about all the crime as well, just not in the traditional way that most cities confront crime. The uh, San Francisco Board of Supervisors proposed new language to reshape the way people talk about those in the crime industry. (coughs) Excuse me. Words such as felon, offender, and convict will be replaced by person-first terminology. Under the proposal, a convicted criminal will be referred to as a formerly incarcerated person or a justice-involved individual or even a, are you ready for this one? I'm waiting for it. Returning resident. Returning from where, Dave? <laughs> the board. From, from a house of, of mandatory occupation. How's that? The, the board's resolution, which is non-binding, was approved last month. The district attorney has endorsed the measure, although the city's mayor has not. The San Francisco Chronicle lays out how the new language guidelines, if implemented, might result in some amusingly convoluted sentences. Here we go. The language resolution makes no mention of terms for victims of crime, but using the new terminology, someone whose car has been broken into could well be a person who's come in contact with a returning resident who was involved with the justice system and who is currently under supervision with a history of substance use. In other words, someone whose car was broken into by a recently released defender on parole with a drug problem. Clear? Who's, who's moving from a mandatory housing uh, facility to a non-mandatory housing facility, yeah. <laughs> meaning he's out of jail. Yeah, there you go. Meanwhile, the San Francisco Democrat Party is hosting a Heart of the Resistance dinner at the Intercontinental Hotel, where House Speaker Nancy Pelosi will receive a Lifetime Achievement Award. Made out of crystal, no doubt. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. San Francisco, quote, I left my heart in the city of resistance. There you go. Bottom line. Uh, of course, this is commonplace now. And where we saw it significantly a little while back was... There's no such thing as an illegal alien. No. Right? It's an undocumented, what, immigrant. Undocumented Undocumented immigrant. immigrant. I remember someone. Because they're all immigrants. There's none of them that are here illegally, so they're all immigrants. You know what? Keep the immigrant versus alien, meaning I don't care. Alien comes from the law, by the way. So it's not not a made-up term. It's the term referred to in the law. It has a legal meaning. But the more important of the two. Monikers is illegal, undocumented, 
Oh, did you? Uh, does that mean you left your documents in your other pants? Oh, are they up on the uh, on the bureau? Oh, you left them back at home, be it here or in another country? No, you're not undocumented. Oh, you forgot to file the paperwork, right? <laughs> and so you didn't get the form back in time. No, no. Now there are those people, by the way, who have overstayed a legal visa. Right. But those are still violating the law. And certainly those who have crossed the border to sneak into this country, those have broken the law. They have broken criminal law through that act. If you can't call that illegal, then I don't know what you can call it. Well, I can tell you what you can call it. You can call it undocumented. Well, I can call it a hamburger, too. What's but the, neither one is accurate. But what's an, what's a politically nice, correct term for illegal? Yeah. Uh Unlaw-breaking immigrant. Uh, someone who is in tension with with legality. How's that? And just saying, it's just know, weird. Just, I mean, we've got to come up with a whole new terminology. Robert. But this is the left, right? If you notice, the left is always about now changing. You just confused language. everybody. You said, now, "This is the left, right?" <laughs> anyway, there you go. <laughs> this is about the left, correct? <laughs> correct. <laughs> because the left is about changing language in an effort to change society in the way they want to paint it, to change meaning. Of course, this is what novels, including 1984, A Brave New World, talked about, because this is right out of the Soviet playbook. There's nothing new about this. I mean this sincerely. The Soviets would change language. It would change history, right? They would paint people out of photographs. They still do it. Right, right. Now that now they're just the Russians, but they're the Soviets, yeah, right? Yeah, and they don't do it the way, you know, you used to do it like if you had a boyfriend you didn't like and you took a pair of scissors and you cut right, your face out, out of it. Right, you ripped it out, right, right. <laughs> they didn't do it that no, way. No, no, they put a bush in instead. Yeah. You were dating a bush for the last five years. You're, you had your arm like this. And exactly. It was, it was like... Uh, you know, some kind of bush or That's right. whatever it was. That's right. It might have been a dancing bear. I don't That's know. Right. And so it was. this is what the left, they try to change reality by changing the language. And it's it's a, a danger. The 1619 Project in the New York Times, you've probably, we, I think we've talked about it. Yeah, it's crazy. Your so here's what the New York Times says, folks. Literally, we are going to reframe American history so that it all surrounds Slavery, right? It all surrounds slavery. And here's the interesting thing about that. Of course, slavery was a big part of the early history of the United States, but it's not the only part of the United States. I hope I didn't just drive you crazy. No, 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 no. No, I didn't know. I didn't know what you were doing. Dave went off uh, his mic for a moment. I wasn't sure what he was doing. No, no. And so this is what the left tries to do. Instead of bringing up a topic and say, listen. We want to focus in on issues involving slavery, particularly during the early time frame, starting from 1619. And we want to talk about those stories because we believe that those stories haven't been covered enough. You know what I call that? I call that good academic discussion. I call that scholarship. I call that interesting. But that's not what they want to do, at least according to their own words. They don't want you to deal with the truth, Robert. right? They say this is the only ma- thing that matters, and the whole perspective on American history up until now is entirely wrong. And you know what's entirely wrong? That the whole American perspective is entirely wrong. Of course, history is not one single line. 
right? History is like a field of daisies. It's a composite. And so if they want to argue, we need to focus in on more of these daisies. Or you missed this part of the field. All this by analogy, of course. That's fine. But you know what they say? You know that whole field that you've been talking about? Forget about it. Mow it down. Go to an entirely different field with one daisy. That daisy is the 1619 Project, and that's what we're going to talk about. That's the single-mindedness of the left. We will indoctrinate you like in the fields of Vietnam, like the fields of Cambodia after the communists won. We will take you out and either kill you or brainwash you. And I ain't interested in it. Yeah, if they if they think that you can't be indoctrinated, it's a bullet to the head. That's it. That's simple. Well, they took out all of the intelligentsia, right? They took yeah. all of those who were educated and killed them immediately, mm-hmm. right? Because you can't, you can't, you, you can't, can't fix that. You can't fix it, so right? The way, well, you can fix it, but the way you do it is you just have Put to kill it. Put a bullet in the head. That's right. You got to kill it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to check in with the uh, Popeyes and Cabot and see if they have any chicken sandwiches left. And I'm going to tell you how the millennials differ from you and I on, uh, you know, what they think is important. Dude! That's a, Yeah, that's all coming up here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Okay, back with you. Now, for whatever reason, the folks over in Cabot didn't answer, so we'll call a local Popeyes here and, and see if we can get them on. Uh, while we wait for Zach trying to do that, here and and tell them they're going to be on the radio, Zach, because you got to let them know. Um, millennials do not value patriotism, family, and religion as passionately as previous generations. The values that Americans say define the national character are changing as younger generations rate patriotism, religion and having children as less important to them than did young people 20 years ago. This is 20 years ago, all right? The survey conducted by Wall Street Journal and NBC News started 21 years ago when Americans were asked which values were most important to them, and the majority responded that the principles of hard work, patriotism, commitment to religion, and goal of having children were critical. Today, hard work remains at the top. That's a surprise when as many people that are millennials still live at home. Uh, But the shares of Americans listing the other three values have fallen substantially. Among people 55 and older, for example, nearly 80% said patriotism was very important, compared with millennials who said 42%, and older members of Gen Z. The study indicated that a majority of Americans are satisfied with the economy. Two-thirds aren't confident the next generation will be better off than the current generation. In fact, the views of Democrats over age 50 were more in line with those of younger Republicans than with younger members of their own party. How interesting is that? In addition to differences in personal values, the poll lays out how the country is divided along partisan lines on many other views of society. When asked if the country is becoming more diverse and tolerant of different lifestyles, 63% of Democrats agreed with the notion compared with only 16% of Republicans. Roughly half of Republicans feel the country is in good standing when it comes to race relations, while only 
21% of Democrats agree with that. So if you want to know what the difference is, there it is. Patriotism fell 9%. Religion dropped 12%. And having children fell 16%. You know what that means? If you're young, don't expect to have any Social Security. Well, not only that, we talked on your show, Dave, of course, before about the article written by the law professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Amy Wax, yeah, and a guy at, uh, I think, uh, Southern California. I forget his name. Do you, do you got the... Uh, yeah, I'm looking at him. He, oh, okay. He can't, can't get anybody. Can't get through anybody. You got somebody? I got a lady, and but she said that she couldn't go in there to talk about it. She, okay. You know, if I, we could possibly contact a corporate, but check, no one's Check there. with Cabot one more time. Just see if you can get through to him. One more try. Exactly. I'm going to build your business up more, man. Free deal right here. Free free advertising. Exactly. About a chicken sandwich. Well, maybe they don't need it. They're selling it. Yeah, it might be. I don't know. Could but be I, up 103%. Exactly. I was saying that, the, so Amy Wax wrote with this other author, this article, that Maybe we should appeal to certain values from the past. Don't do that. Left won't like it. That's it. They attacked her. And of course, the values were have children after you get married. Doesn't that make sense, Dave? Don't you mm-hmm. think that it, that kids and families and everyone are better off if kids are a byproduct of a marriage? I do. Am I allowed to say that? I do. But this is the problem. And so you see that reflected in what you read in terms of the poll. The values are are inverted. They're not they're not what they used to be. And she made an appeal to resurrect these previous values. And she was attacked. Because, yeah, because absolutely. Guess what? Guess what? In the 50s, you know, in the 50s, there was there was much more racism. Yeah, but she wasn't appealing to those things. Mm-hmm. You see, right? So you can't appeal to maybe tastes of clothing. Right? How about that from the 50s? No, no, that, you can't wear a skinny tie from the 50s because, you know, there was racism. What? That's the thing. You you can't make any claims to any historical events, and this is consistent with the 1619 Project, because if it's not a reflection of racism, it's not history. It's really remarkable. It's such single-mindedness. While you're not, you're ignoring, the, I'm not ignoring anything. I'm not ignoring anything. We have had some very, very difficult past. A, a very difficult past. By the way, so is the world, right? Look, look at your history. I'm, I'm Jewish, and this is the first time across the globe that in many countries, not all, not all, you can freely practice Judaism, right? This is the first time in modern history that there's a Jewish state of Israel, although according to Talib and Omar, it's racist for there to be one country in this world that is a Jewish state. That's racist. Yeah, absolutely. Dozens of Muslim countries, one Jewish state, not allowed. I got to tell you, this this thing, and this goes a lot to what you're talking about. The views of Democrats over age 50. Mm Mm-hmm. Which are the people who go to the polls? Oh yeah, much at mu- much higher ha- numbers, much higher rates than younger. Of course, we're more in line with those of younger Republicans. That's right. Than with younger members of their own party. That's right. You know, look, I, I've heard 
what a lot of people say about the relation, you know, the the morning Joe, Trump gets slaughtered and all of this. It just isn't going to happen. Because these people are either going to vote for Trump or they're going to stay home. Well, what's interesting is the confidence claimed by the left. They had the same confidence in the last election. Now, I don't know what the outcome will be. I think it's for me it's too early to be able to say I I know who I'm going to vote for but I don't know what the outcome will be but this notion that the left they try to project their desire into the outcome good luck good luck it, luckily polls and pundits are just that exactly and they don't determine the outcome you know what it determines the outcome voters yeah when you step into the booth that's exactly right but when you see that the majority of Democrats over 50 have more in common with Republicans than they do with their own party. Not good. Look out. Not good. For the Dems, that is. Yeah. Good Look for the Republicans. Look out. By the way, we got a few moments here. Uh, you heard about Joe Walsh. Yes. Joe Walsh is a talk show host for Salem Radio Networks, and he has announced that he is going to run uh a campaign in the primary against president trump now i i gotta laugh he's not going to get very much money i mean if Kasich couldn't get money with his name recognition nobody knows basically who joe walsh is no all right and uh, he so he's going to run now what that does mean is this there would be a change in programming here on our radio station. I think he comes on at midnight here and goes to 3 a.m., if I'm not mistaken, because we wanted Sebastian Gorka on right after Larry Elder. So we moved him back. When does he actually record? Uh, he's on from 9 until midnight, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is when he's on. Mm-hmm. So he's it just said within 30 days he'll not be on Salem any longer. Uh, and he's made some really really uh, outrageous statements about the president because mm-hmm. he's trying to well, he's gin right. up exactly. some, some uh, you know, I'm sure he's going to be on morning Joe. He's going to do the circuit. Sure. He'll, he'll do all that. I, I just wonder, just this between us, you, me and all of your yeah, audience and yeah, me, me and, and, uh, and Robert and the nearest uh, fence pole sitting in your car right now uh, that he wanted out. I wonder if he got tired of doing radio because mm. I mm. listen to his show and I he doesn't have anything no. especially astute no. to say. No. Uh, and so, you know, he's he just wanted done. And by doing this, they got to let him go because because of equal time rules. Right. Once if he, he does, once he 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 says I'm running, mm-hmm. uh, you can't we can't turn around and let every Democrat have you know, three free hours of radio every day. Mm-hmm. That ain't mm-hmm. going to happen. Right, right, right. So his, he's going to be history. It's the way it goes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that, you had that. By the way, can I play one more thing for you? Do we have time to play the Klobuchar cut, cut five? Is that too long? No, it's too long. I can't do it. Should have heard it. I should have played this earlier. No You would have loved it because Chris Wallace Went after Klobuchar, right? And because she was attacking Trump about the deficit, Mm -hmm. and so he started saying, "So why weren't you squawking with the Obama administration?" Right, right. And you should hear her go. Right, but to be fair, yeah. But to be fair, 
Republicans who were squawking at the Obama administration agree with haven't been too. making much noise all, all, for the most part. There are great folks like um, uh, Chip Roy in Texas who was on your show when I guest hosted yeah. uh, who has made some good noise about that and others. Uh, but we have not been fiscally conservative enough. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, coming up tomorrow, power panel will be here. Jan will not be she says, Dave, don't you give my seat away to anybody. And I said, that ain't happening, Jan. You're part of this show. Uh, she'll be back following week. She's got uh, some personal things she's got to take care of. And then the Bible guys, Wednesday, the uh, deputy communications uh, co- um, communications director of the Trump campaign will join us in the 5 o'clock oh, hour nice. for about, 20, about 15 minutes. Yeah, nice. And then David Ray's going to be around, and he's got some important information David to talk Ray's about. David Ray's great. He is great. So anyway, we got a lot of stuff coming this week. You won't want to miss any of it. JR is coming up on Thursday, but until then, have a great evening. I'll see you tomorrow. God bless. You. Thank you, Robert, for coming in. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com